We are the School of Canine Science and this is Scent for Six. This week we'll introduce our target odour to the dogs, but as always I'm going to give you three different methods and discuss the pros and cons of each. The first is using the scent containment Experienced device. Experienced bloodhounds had a success rate of 96% with no false indications. This is ludicrously high and yet German Shepherds, Labradors, Spaniels and Collies remain the dog of choice for scent work. So why is that? Perhaps it's not just about genetics and hardware, what about the so trends in order in to be perceived as scent, the odour molecule must be dissolvable. Why? Because when it lands on the mucous membrane of the epithelium covering those turbinates, it needs to be dissolved at this stage for the cilia to pick up the signal and carry The benefit on. of increasing the dog's sniffing frequency through this exercise isn't solely to improve their detection fitness, but more importantly, allows them the opportunity to practice. Errors in handling creating false indication, but here's the thing. In 2014, a group of scientists got together to have a look at the impact of stress on the performance of explosive detection dogs. The first thing the researchers did was... I wish toxicity was that simple, but it's just not black and white like people think it is. Ultimately, everything is toxic. If you want to understand this properly, we need to start with the fundamental concept of LD50, the median lethal dose. To learn more about this one-of-a-kind olfaction course, check out canilescience.online or click the link in the show notes for a 20% discount. Welcome to Talking Sense, the podcast where we discuss all things detection dogs. Broadcasting from Scent City, Las Vegas, and the Silver State Canine Training Center, your host, Cameron Ford. Hello, and welcome to this double drop episode of Canine's Talking Sense. With everybody facing the coronavirus and the mandated uh, social isolation, uh, social distancing, quarantines, things like that, I hope an episode or a podcast uh, like this is something that helps kind of occupy that time and allows you to take this time to learn new things or hear about things you haven't heard of before. Um, so this episode will have two interviews that I did back in January at the CNCA conference. Uh, the first episode is with Ted Douse. Ted is a attorney down in South Florida. He specializes in doing a lot of canine cases and then the other one is my friend here in Las Vegas, Mel English, and Mel is a retired Las Vegas Metro canine handler and trainer. Uh, Mel will cover all kinds of things that uh, he goes through with his experience and his background and what he does today. With all that said, I really hope uh, everybody can utilize this time uh, with what we're going through these days to sit back, reconnect with friends, family, slow things down a little bit, uh, reflect, and also really engage in our relationships with our dogs. Uh, one of the things I hear very often is trust your dog. And as many of you know, I focus a lot on cognition and cognitive ability of dogs. And what I like to start off always saying is know your dog. If you know your dog, you can trust your dog. And during this period of time where we're all going to be kind of isolated and and uh, having time to sit back and either do things via the internet or podcast or things like that, 
we are going to increase some of the webinars online. Like this episode, we'll have two uh, interviews on it. I am also going to make myself available uh, even more so to do uh, consulting, whether it be or coaching, uh, whether it be online, through video, phone, etc. And if you're interested in something like that, uh, we can set up conversations in uh, consulting, coaching. Uh, just email me, Cameron, C-A-M-E-R-O-N, at FordK9.com. Uh, I was lucky enough just before the quarantines kind of kicked in to get to travel and, and uh, see a lot of different uh, uh, canine handlers and their dogs, uh, both in sport and professionally. I was in Calgary uh, and then over in Washington, and uh, I was really lucky to be around some people that love their dogs and a, a very diverse excuse me there crowd of professionals and sport people. So uh, it was motivating to be able to be there one-on-one with people, but also I look forward to doing something like this via the webinars, podcast, and online or phone coaching. So also an update, due to the quarantine and and mandated closures here in Nevada of non-essential businesses, Silver State Canine pretty much closed down operations. And John and Lauren, who are the owners of Silver State Canine, uh, have done a lot with their careers and definitely look forward to being able to retire and move on and things like that. And uh, this kind of helped spur that. So for me, uh, Ford Canine has been uh, my webinar, seminar, and company owner of Canine's Talking Sense. And soon, once I get uh, the licensing and permits here in Las Vegas, will be also the location where everybody comes to to go to school, just like you did at Silver State Canine. So uh, you guys might see, obviously, there's going to be no Silver State Canine advertisement, but just know pretty much everything is going to be the same. It's just going to be under Ford Canine here eventually. And in addition to that, I have partnered with a a local security company here who actually now is creating their own training institute. So it's a great merger of Ford K9 and the training that we do there uh, with my business over along with the security side of things where we can also educate and train individuals who want to work with dogs in bomb detection, drug detection, firearms detection, and even the cognitive side of things, learning cognition, selection, testing of dogs. So a lot of excited things coming through all of this uh, kind of change in the world right now. Um, I look forward to helping everybody out as I always have and also doing so in a new way. And without really any other comments or further delay or ado, on to the episodes with Ted Douse and Mel English. And as always, feel free to contact me. I look forward to engaging with you guys online uh, in, in one way or another. So until the episode ends, I'll talk to you at the conclusion. Hello, this is Cameron Ford from K9's Talking Sense. I am here live in Palm Springs at the annual CNCA conference. 
And while I'm here, I am doing some interviews with an amazing range of guests that I could uh, get my hands on. And my first one right here is Ted Douse. Ted, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. And for those that may not know you, there's give two us, people out yeah, there. Maybe two. Um, just give a, your, your background and then what you do today, most often in our dog world. Sure. Uh, I uh, became a lawyer back in '91 and started off being a prosecutor down in South Florida. It's the only job I've ever had for like now going on. I, I call myself self a short timer for all my police officer friends. But I have 19 months left. I've been chastised by some whether 19 is a short time to retirement, but I'll have 30 years in in 19 months. Wow. So, uh, But that's the only job I've ever had. And the most of that, I'd say 22 of my 28-ish, is, uh, was in upper-level drug trafficking. And so then it kind of morphed into uh, we were on a six-person drug trafficking unit, and we were on call. Okay. And then it, I befriended some friends by quirk of fate that were dog handlers. And if for those of you that want a good laugh, we go all the way back to beepers and pagers. Oh, yeah. To where you'd Next have to hell. stop off at a payphone, which no longer exists, and put a quarter in it and like return a phone call, uh, things of that nature. So uh, all back to those days. And, and it just kind of morphed into, uh, you know, let's call Ted. And mm-hmm. I would research things about dogs, which I did wasn't that knowledgeable on, say, 20 years ago or so. And then now it's morphed into I teach a law school class uh, at night at Nova Southeastern University. I have a mock trial national champions 2019 oh. Buffalo Niagara mock trial national champions coached by me. Uh, very proud of that. Yeah. Uh, I've been a drug trafficking prosecutor uh, going on uh, 28 years and uh, started lecturing. Uh, co-authored a book, Canines in the Courtroom. Uh, was a part of the two teams that did two United States Supreme Court arguments yes. from Florida, which is uh, Harris and Jardines, dog reliability and what I call dog sniffing houses. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, I lecture around the country now, um, to, but only to law enforcement mm-hmm. um, on narcotics, search and seizure, and the appropriateness of uh, deploying a dog and how to do it, uh, deploy the dog and the pros and cons and pitfalls of search and seizure issues that come mm-hmm. up. So uh, I love, I'm from South Florida, but I travel all around the country. I, I'm out here in California yeah. right now doing two lectures tomorrow. So um, I like doing it, and I love putting bad guys in jail and helping out police officers. So that's kind of how it morphed over the years into what I'm doing and how I'm doing it and doing it all around the country. Now. And you do it for the biggest canine conference in the States, which is? Yeah, HITS. Uh, stands for Handler Instruction Training Seminar. So myself for the legal side of things, mm-hmm. so search and seizure, and then my three partners, uh, Andy Wyman, master trainer who uh, for the sheriff's office down in Broward County, uh, works a narcotics dog and a gun dog. Um, he's been doing it for more years than you can count. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeff Barrett, who, congratulations to Jeff, just retired I was say. after like 33 years or something yeah. from the Lakeland Police Department where he was dual purpose. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Jeff Meyer out of Denver PD, who worked a dual purpose dog for many years and now is a bomb dog handler. So the four of us, we like to use the slogan, it's for cops by cops. Yep. Um, so it's all law enforcement people putting on a seminar for law enforcement officers. That, yeah. you know, we hope we have a finger on the pulse of mm-hmm. what you'd like to hear, what mm-hmm. you need to hear, who good speakers are. We really work hard, we really do. And we don't always succeed. 
Um, but we try to really put on vet our instructors. Yeah. Um, we don't want infomercials. We want Correct. you to come and learn something. Yeah. Uh, we want you to walk away with a good experience, not only learning something. It's it's classroom only, so there's no hands-on dog training. Yeah. You don't bring your dog. Um, but we want you to learn something and enjoy yourself while you're there. We have a, um, a good vendor pool of about 90 vendors. We generally have somewhere between 800 to 1,000. That's a real number, folks. Yeah. Unlike some people that promise you 800 and 300 <laughs> show up, uh, we really have 800 to 1,000. Our last two were um, Chicago, which was over 1,000, roughly 1,100, and D.C. was mm -hmm. almost 1,300, yeah. uh, which was two years ago. So we're going to be in Phoenix August 18th through the 21st, Phoenix, Scottsdale area coming mm -hmm. up. So uh, if you're interested and you're in the area or you like our what we do, and we do a little socializing. Yep. So we want you to come and learn, but we want you to rub mm -hmm. elbows with your friends and uh, and have fun, have a little bit of fun in while you train too with some social gatherings with a few mm -hmm. adult beverages. But yep. <laughs> uh, it's a good mix. It's a good mix, and we want everybody to have a good time and learn. And that's that's when we want, we want to benefit the in industry, but we're not so stuffed shirt to where – you know, we want you to have a good time. Yeah, no, and, and I can say because you guys have invited me long enough and I've been so lucky to be able to have that opportunity. But by being there, I am able to see with my own two eyes the vendor area is by far the biggest vendor area I've seen in all the different conferences I've been lucky enough to go to. Uh, like you said, the attendee numbers are extremely high, which allows for a lot of that networking the to build those relationships and friendships. And then, like you said, the instructors, the, you have a good diversity of instructors. You keep some of the ones that are uh, relevant uh, each year. Uh, I can even say you guys have pushed me each year to either update content uh, or to add something new, which I feel is important. It, it pushes uh, a person, whoever is teaching, to constantly, instead of doing the same canned routine over again, that provides after a couple of years, you've kind of hit everybody. Well, yeah, we don't... We you know, of what value is it? We, we do a, I'm going to give you a vague estimate, but mm -hmm. we do about a 60% turnover from lecturers from one year to another. Now there's a mm -hmm. core group of people that are staples in the industry or just really good lecturers that um, have quality of information. And because we move hits around the country, mm -hmm. you know, like I said, with DC to yeah. Chicago, now to Phoenix, we try to go East West to make exposure. So, um, you know, people get exposure to mm -hmm. instead of going same city, same city, same city, yeah. same city, four yeah. years in a row. And then you see, ironically, in those type of conferences where there's some good people that lecture there and good information to give. But you do see the same people saying the same thing, teaching yeah. the same thing. And, you know, what good is that for the average handler in Topeka, Kansas, to go to the same seminar with the same speakers yeah. year after year after year? So we think the business model is just better for the handler. Mm -hmm. So that's what we try to do. And we mm -hmm. try to rotate. You'll see some of the same people, we're yeah. not, and, and, but you'll see a lot of new people. Yep. And we cover bomb, patrol, yeah. narcotics, yep. supervisor, nutrition, food, um, supervisor. Uh, we've branched out into jail and uh, corrections. So we mm -hmm. put on a couple classes mm -hmm. for those folks that are interested. Um, and uh, so we're doing what we can do in a variety of ways and a variety of topics to try to get the spectrum out there because we want handlers to learn. Yeah, no, without a doubt. And it's funny you, you had brought up the, the one of the two major Supreme Court cases that you were got to be a part of, and that's actually inadvertently how we cross paths. So K-9 Aldo, 
on Florida v. Harris Correct. was a dog I had trained, and I was a, the first certifying official for back under the drug beat certification. There you go. That That's was right. on there. <laughs> and uh, so I got to see your name. I wasn't contacted by you, but I had been contacted. I don't think so. I was contacted by another uh, team of attorneys that was had reached out to myself, and uh, back then my old sergeant, Matt Gibbs, we were the ones that had done that certification. Um, it, it, obviously, the dog world especially at that time, had limited exposure with, to me, attorneys who had decent level experience of understanding dogs, dog handlers, and then the utilization of the dogs. Um, There's been any number of different, I would say, beliefs or fears that stem from the legal world that make handlers, uh, I guess, have a false belief or a fear of doing something because, oh, it'll get challenged in court. And Many of these things have ever have never gone to a, a legal standard. And I'll bring up one first, which will be everybody's fear of using a synthetic or a mimic training aid um, to, to train with. Yet now we have numerous chemists and scientists that say, actually, this is better to start with or to you do threshold training with because you can quantify it. You know what it is. Um, so I'll let you start off with that. Is there any legal case or any cases or reason for people to fear using a known, trusted synthetic or mimic training aid? There, there, not no case. You know, of course, you know I don't memorize all fifty states and every sure. federal circuit. I know of no federal case that talks that like pseudo was a negative for mm-hmm. the evaluation of mm-hmm. the judge or a negative in evaluation for training. Um, and there are um, some good pseudo products out yeah. there. So. The scenario really is this. I, my opinion, and uh, you know, I have some friends in the pseudo industry. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can train on real, mm-hmm. and you can train on varying amounts because I'm mm-hmm. a big. Absolutely. You got to put a kilo out just like you put your half a gram out. Um, and you know, not every week or everything, but you know, all odors and varying times of the month, and you know, different places and different amounts. But you know, some departments don't have the resources to always have a kilo of heroin sitting mm-hmm. around so they can have overwhelming odor for the dog like they might have a gram of heroin. Mm-hmm. So, you know, pseudo could be an excellent replacement mm-hmm. like, depending on your resources and uh, money and your access to maybe DEA drugs and whether your trainer or your handler is like certified by DEA to, you know, handle narcotics outside of an arrest type of thing. Um and so if, if pseudo works better for you under your particular training scenario, maybe mm-hmm. your budget or your availability to odor, sure. size of odor and size of drug, um, certainly into the realm of bomb material, mm-hmm. uh, pseudo, you know, not everybody can get, I guess, debt cord or C4 mm-hmm. or, you know, and I'm not the greatest bomb guy in the world, I'm Nordic but there's certainly varying amounts of odor on mm-hmm. um, varying types of bomb material that pseudo is, was a, is an excellent substitute for the real thing. So, but to get directly to your question, um, you know, it's like chicken or the egg. There, <laughs> there is no real great. I can't figure out that problem, but I think they're both acceptable. Yeah. And, and what you say actually dovetails or overlaps with what the chemists and scientists have said that have been on here, which is training with it is you can train with it, but also, of course, make sure you're using real, using real relevant to your areas, using not only the neighboring agencies real, but another agencies. And then when you're doing your certification and or odor recognition testing, you're using real at those points because it, that validates what you're doing because you need the dogs to get used to all, the, like you said, the various thresholds and mixtures because 
you know, cocaine in South Florida is totally different than cocaine in L.A. Uh, they, you, you cut it and step on it three times, and, yeah, what you're getting maybe crossing the border and Tijuana is going to mm-hmm. be something different coming in from, you know, maybe a Peruvian product I'm going to see a lot of coming through Miami and South Florida. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you're 100% correct on the different styles and quantities and shape sizes and cutting agents and the whole nine yards. And uh, so, yeah, it's going to be a little bit different and geographically where it comes from. Sure. And going into that, as the detection dog has evolved and the narcotics world has evolved, uh, the newest thing, and you guys are dealing with in your state the most currently right now that I'm aware of as far as everybody kind of reacting to law changes, uh, obviously the change in status of cannabis, um, I'll let you kind of, because the mentality right now is there's a freak out that occurs when it gets legalized that now we have to throw out all these dogs that are trained on marijuana. And, you know, you have administrators of the canine unit, you have state attorney's offices that are all now going, oh, wait, no, no, no. If the dog's ever trained on marijuana, it's out. We can't use it anymore. Um, I'll let you address kind of what's the, the climate or the temperature in Florida as it regards to the legalization of marijuana and what some agencies might do or handlers might do to kind of help educate or talk about the dog program. Yeah, the, the best thing you can do is, and I'll give you a few examples from across the country that I'm super familiar with, but uh, I'm like, this is my personal opinion, but I'm like, until a court tells you in your state, um, there's an opinion out there that says a dog imprinted on marijuana in our state is uh, no longer probable cause. Um, And for our friends that are listening in Colorado, they feel (laughs) our pain. Um, That did happen in Colorado. I won't beat a dead horse there, but... Um, it's kind of isolated to Colorado for mm-hmm. that particular opinion. But, I mean, there's plenty of states that have fought it and survived it. Um, uh, Arizona happens to be one where they had two cases go back-to-back to their appellate court system, and um, both were officers smelling marijuana on scene, and they used dog law mm-hmm. to support the fact that if an officer can smell it, because then they analogized it to, well, we have canine cases here in Arizona, and Arizona is a medical marijuana state, mm-hmm. so there are parameters of sure. where you have to get it, where you keep it, what age you are, uh, that type of thing. The physician has to be in the database and things of that nature. And if you're not, you don't hit all, let's say, all five bells and whistles in Arizona for the medical marijuana law, you're arrestable if you have. But if you do, you get your speeding ticket, and away you go with your three joints because mm-hmm. you lawfully are around. But they fought it there, and um, they got two... Um, appellate court decisions from the uh, state courts in Colorado, um, excuse me, in Arizona, saying that um, a dog trained on marijuana is, even though it can, under certain circumstances, be legally possessed by someone in a medical scenario, um, it's still probable cause. Mm -hmm. Because you can still have a pound of marijuana driving around Arizona that was grown in either your neighbor's basement or maybe Jamaican Golden Prime (laughs) or something, and that's still illegal. And you should be able to investigate whether it's lawful possession or unlawful possession arrestable. Maryland has decriminalization of marijuana, but a dog in Maryland trained on the odor of marijuana is still probable cause, even though it's been decriminalized. Uh, right now, we're in flux in Florida because we just passed medical mm-hmm. marijuana. It hasn't really made its way through um, our court system, and we still have the same problem that you're, you know, 
that you have in other states. We have some prosecutors in my state mm -hmm. have said, well, we're going to kind of punt on marijuana for two years because uh, we're going to wait and see what happens. Mm -hmm. I'm fortunate enough to work in a jurisdiction <laughs> where we are staying status quo. If our officers smell it, we're prosecuting it. If our dogs alert to it, we're prosecuting it. And we're treating it more like Arizona, um, that it's still probable cause. Because um, And we've actually had one mild success um, from a, uh, our first district court of appeal who analogized the medical marijuana issue and said, even though we're a medical marijuana state, um, it still can be probable cause. Now, we just went in you know, to some hemp issues, which mm -hmm. is a whole big headache, and whether the Delta 9 agent is over 0.3%, yeah. and we're working our way through those issues too. Um, but we're staying status quo until somebody tells us, you know, probably our Florida Supreme Court in two years, three yeah. years is going to tell us uh, what we're really going to do. Federal court's been pretty mainstream, though. I have to say that if you're, you know, working a dog and you do a lot of federal cases uh, or things at airports and mm -hmm. borders and things of that nature, they don't seem to be as affected by it as the, some of the new state law stuff that's going around. Um, uh, then again, you have a Massachusetts yeah, uh, it's out there, and uh, they just basically say a dog trained on marijuana is not probable cause anymore in Massachusetts. A very liberal state, but yeah, you know they they do exist here and there. Um, but bottom line is, if uh, and let me just say this, you know, like Colorado handlers, um, instead of just retiring a dog that's been out there for three years, I mean, you can still use a good marijuana dog for probation and parole sweeps. Mm -hmm. You can you still use them on search warrants where you're looking for other narcotics because you already have the ability to search the house. Sure. So the dog's not doing anything other than giving you a tool. It's not yeah. creating probable it's a cause. Location device to help you with your job. Correct. So you know you may you don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Now you're not going to use that dog on a traffic stop anymore. Mm -hmm. But you know hopefully that they're not just saying well. My dog's four. You know, he's probably got mm -hmm. another good six years in him. But I got this marijuana case out there, and so um, you know, or you can always use them in correctional facilities or jail dogs, or prison mm -hmm. dogs. Yeah. All that stuff is still viable. You know, you may have to get a new patrol, you know, street working dog for mm -hmm. for for uh, narcotics odor. But you know, hopefully, it's not just you know the sky is falling in sure. some of these jurisdictions. But you and I were just talking in the hallway, so I'm, hopefully, you know, a lot of the Police officers will back me up, and a lot of the prosecutors will want to throw tomatoes at me. But <laughs> I just don't understand why prosecutors in a lot of jurisdictions don't fight the fight. Mm -hmm. Because cases are brought to them. Let's just say they say, oh, you know, marijuana is a big issue here, and I'll make up a state. Yeah. Here in Kansas. You yeah. know, uh, and so uh, it's a lot of turmoil. So we're not going to prosecute marijuana cases, and we're not going to take your dog you know, marijuana case until you know, we get more direction from the court or something. Mm -hmm. And I'm like... Well, you don't get direction from the court till you create a case, and <laughs> you don't get direction from the court until you litigate the case. And you may lose at your local circuit court judge, then you appeal it to some appellate court, and if you lose there, you appeal it to the Kansas Supreme Court, and they let you know what's going on. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't understand why prosecutors are. I get a lot of my police officers, even ones I don't know, that come up to me and say, "Hey, Ted, but you know, my prosecutor won't take this marijuana case because it's." turmoil in our state and we nobody mm -hmm. knows what's really going on and, and i'm like fight the fight yeah i mean if i you come to me with a case and i throw it in the garbage can and say well it's you know uh doesn't have any appeal to us mm -hmm. right now you know it doesn't yeah. seem the climate doesn't seem to be right or any of this kind of <laughs> you know, these idiot kind of phrases that yeah. you hear and then um but if you don't fight the fight 
why are you afraid to lose as a prosecutor? I don't get it because so I lose in my circuit court. So I lose in my appellate court. Maybe I lose in my Supreme Court. You know what? It's a lot better to fight the fight and lose than just throw it away initially, stamp it like a veto from the president and throw it in the round filing cabinet. Absolutely. I mean, why not go in there and hire an expert? Why not put the trainer on and the handler on? You know, there's our cases out there where you can have a good faith basis. You and I were just talking about, you know, plenty of defense attorneys write up motions and mm-hmm. they're, you know, initially we'd all read them and say, well, that's bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but they're going in front of a judge and they'll argue their, mm-hmm. you know, 4% chance of that motion suppress. Yep. And there's a judge out there somewhere who entertains that knuckleheaded stuff. Yep. I said, well, you know, whatever happened to the prosecutorial Hail Mary? You know, why don't I go back there and say, you know, you know, I got a 10% chance of winning this. Go and for if it. I lose it, yeah, what the hell? I'm in no better place than not fighting it. So throw the freaking 50-yard pass and see if somebody's in the end zone and catches it. Yeah. I mean, um, you know. Because what do you got to lose? Like you, like you said, you're still in the same position you were when you started. So at least you took an attempt to see if a change could happen. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't. You know, I don't know of any prosecutor's office that works itself on a, on a win-loss ratio or a motion suppression. I didn't get my Christmas bonus as a prosecutor because I lost three motions suppress this year or something like that. Yeah. Um, you know, fight the fight. Yeah. That, you know, the, nobody walks around and asks me to, you know, and I'm fairly well-known in the country for a mm-hmm. narcotic search and seizure. You know, I've lost motions. Uh, you know, look at, look, look, let me just cut to the chase here, folks. Florida versus Harris okay, was a loss in the circuit court in my yeah. county. And, and then it went to a loss in the district court. Uh-huh. Then it was a loss in the, in the Florida Supreme court. court. Then it was the Hail Mary because the United States Supreme Court only hears approximately 2% of what they're wow. requested to hear. Yeah. They agreed to hear it. And the next thing you know, 9 to 0 and everybody pull over because I don't want you to wreck your car if you're listening on the radio. <laughs> but if Ruth Bader Ginsburg can vote for a conservative police officer dog handler yeah. that it's still reliable, mm-hmm. then you know, then you there's your one percent yeah. If you ever would have said Ruth Bader Ginsburg's gonna say drug dogs are good. Go out and sniff cars that are reliable yeah. and catch more drug people driving around on the highways. You would have said you're crazy. Absolutely. And uh, it was a nine to nothing reversal of the Florida Supreme Court, which is profound. Just just like you said, not only the Ruth Beer, but nine to zero profound in on the that. in the world of sports. That was an ass kicking. Yes, it was <laughs> exactly, and it and. It took away a lot of the fear and arguments about certification. Like, oh. you, you know, obviously, um, we know certification is important. You want to test and show that you're proficient at these things. But it was the documentation of training that was really the pull out of that was, hey, as long as you're documenting training, your training is well-rounded and diverse and continuous and rigorous, you, you, you've got your bases covered at least for the probable cause argument, correct? Sure. Yeah. It, it really goes back to um, really the, we're very fortunate that they are very bright people and mm-hmm. they understood the argument as outlined mm-hmm. in the sense of it's unfair in the real-world deployment yeah. to hold someone to a standard of, well, your dog alerted but there was no dope found, so therefore there must be an error mm-hmm. or there must be a mistake mm-hmm. um, because nothing tangible of dope. Mm-hmm. But they really grasp the concept that dogs, and for those of you that are using the wrong language or yeah. the wrong vernacular, you're typing a report, you know, please take this to heart. 
everybody knows, but you actually got to convert your mind to say it, mm-hmm. your dogs are odor dogs. Yes. A lot of us go around saying accidentally, well, I got a cocaine dog, or I got yeah. a dope dog, yeah. or my dog alerts to cocaine, heroin, methamphetamine. You really want to throw the word odor in there to yes. be correctly because they got it. Yep. They understood that odor doesn't mean tangible, real dope. And that a dog can be 100% correct of odor for varying different reasons, Mm -hmm. but no tangible dope being there. And it doesn't make your dog wrong. And defense attorneys were beating that, here you go, the old term, false alert. For those of you that have been a handler under six years or so, be thankful. For those of you 20... 15 to 20 years, you're probably Mm -hmm. giggling now because Mm -hmm. the term false alert after... Uh, Florida versus Harris is predominantly 98% gone. Yeah, no. Uh, They didn't buy a false alert. They didn't buy the fact that no Mm -hmm. drugs were found Mm -hmm. um, to be an error in the dog or the dog's improper. They went and said if the dog's well-trained and maintained, and then they threw the caveat in, which their preference, it's not mandatory, but Mm -hmm. their preference was and uh, yearly certified by a bona fide agency, uh, was the key term. So that's yeah. like your, you know, I, I don't have yep. any you know, real preference. Your NPCAs, yeah. your USPCAs, yep. mm-hmm. uh, your NAPWADAs, your mm-hmm. NNDDAs. Yep. Or a lot of them have state associations. Yep. I have FLECA, Florida yep. Law Enforcement Canine Association. Mm-hmm. I know CNCA out here does yep. a certification. So whatever your, your agency of preference is, as long as somebody's out there honestly evaluating and they have mm-hmm. real standards and, and things that you have to do, and a, occasionally a dog does fail or not pass and goes through maybe re- resi- uh, not residual training, uh, yep. remedial training. Yeah. Yep. And uh, then you come back, I don't know, 30 days later and you mm-hmm. recertify. But, you know, um, and maybe you never make it. I don't mm-hmm. know. You fail three times. You got to sit out mm-hmm. for two years or get yeah, rid of yeah. the bad dog. Yep. I mean, we don't want bad dogs in our industry, that's for sure. And we don't want mediocre to poor handlers either. Yeah. But um, as I digress, I mean, the court wants the certification. It's not mandated. Yep. Uh, Florida doesn't have a mandated certification Correct. scenario. It's one of those voluntary mandatory things. <laughs> well, but I, I'm very fortunate in my yeah. state that um, the handlers buy in yeah. that the certification yep. is extremely important. And yeah. Judges like it. They're just civilians with C-plus law degrees and robes. Um, <laughs> and they like the fact that you walk in, you say some independent body with some rules and regulations, yes. and you were overseen by somebody. Peer and, review. Yeah, and you don't want it to be your sergeant. You don't want it to be the sergeant of the next county over, like Sheriff's Office A monitors Sheriff's Office B once a year. You really want to go forward with some independent scenario um, with rules and regulations that do it. But it, you're not mandated. You can yeah. literally go in and say, my dog was well-trained initially mm-hmm. by whatever vendor you mm-hmm. got it from and the year, the hours of service that you did on your initial training. And then um, prove that your weekly maintenance training is up to date, that your real-world search logs are up to date, um, and then how you maintain your dog and things like we've already talked about, you know, varying odors, do you mm-hmm. put all your odors mm-hmm. out and things of that nature. And if the documentation's there and you're doing things solid, uh, you're going to have no real problem. Yeah. And, and you actually brought up some good points throughout that, which is like what Ken Furton talked about today in his class, and I'm going to have him on here shortly as well, is – like I liked his popcorn theory. I've stolen that and used that numerous times throughout the years. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, so the, uh, the that uh, analogy that he makes is if you eat the bag of popcorn, the popcorn's gone, but yet somebody can still come into the room and go, hey, there's popcorn, you know, or who had popcorn? There's no popcorn present, but the odor, like you said, is still there. And that's what the dog is trained to detect. So the initial defense that was made, well, 
I'm going to gauge this dog's reliability based on alerts or indications on the road versus what's actually found was proven to be bunk because it wasn't a correct way to actually gauge it because you had no controls. Well, yeah, there was no known standard. Correct. Um, how would you know, absent, let's say, the 17-year-old telling you, I just yep. smoked a joint mm-hmm. uh, right after the high school football game, mm-hmm. and, of course, the odor is all around the car for the joint they passed around mm-hmm. and smoked for 10 minutes, mm-hmm. um, and then you pull them over as they're, I don't know, driving to the, you know, this is how old I am, the word sock hop comes to my <laughs> damn head. But, you know, they're driving to the high school dance or they're going to the Dairy Queen or whatever the hell kids do after the football games these days. But you pull them over, well, that dog's going to sit like crazy. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's assume single person, passive dog. And um, that dog's right. Mm -hmm. But you're never, and the officer probably could smell it. Sure. But to a defense attorney, you're never going, before Harris, you're never going to get the benefit of the doubt because it's going to be Four kids telling you we didn't smoke any dope, Mr. Mm-hmm. Mom and Dad and mm-hmm. Mr. Defense Attorney for ten grand. Yeah. And the cops lying, the dog sucks, and that's all you got. And the Supreme Court said that's just wrong. Yeah. That it's not fair because it's not a controlled circumstance Correct. when you don't know whether there was odor or there wasn't odor. Yeah. But in a controlled setting, yep. by an independent body, yep. Uh, you know, you say classroom one with locker two's got odor in it, and it doesn't. It's a blank room. Mm-hmm. Then you know you've made yep. a bad call for whatever yep. reason. You got to figure out why that call was made. Mm-hmm. Um, did the dog do something? Did the handler misread the dog? Whatever it yeah. is. But then you know, so you can evaluate that performance because it's a known quantity. You mm-hmm. know where dope is and you know where dope isn't, and somebody's there to evaluate you. You truly don't know whether those kids were not smelling or, excuse me, smoking marijuana or yep. they were. Well, you probably do because you can smell it as a human, so let's sure. change it. Yeah. Uh, you know, whether they threw the crack rock underneath the yep. seat and you really can't find it or nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, who knows? But yeah. the Supreme Court says, well, that's not fair to judge the dog on the road because there is no controlled circumstance. Absolutely. And it's bleeds into my next topic here, which is science finally, right, wrong, or indifferent in some cases, uh, having more relevance in our detection dog world, giving us more information, uh, and helping us with some standards that we should probably adjust to. Um, Thank goodness for guys like Dr. Furton and some of the staff that he has that give guidance based on scientific principles um, and now with dogs being considered, they've always been considered a sensor. It's just now being defined by a forensic board that this is what it is, um, is helping, I guess, clean up a few things where we could do better. Um, like you said, record keeping, what to write down, what to say vernacular, making sure we're saying the right things that match up with what the legal and or science world would call, some, call something. Uh, the other aspect is care and maintenance of training aids. You know how those are cared for oh. and maintained. Yeah, you you know. Well, I'm not saying anything that's foreign to anybody, but sure. you certainly don't want to, you know, put ha- uh, heroin in Tupperware that last week had <laughs> cocaine. That doesn't yeah. do you any good. No. But yeah. yeah, so you gotta you know dot your eyes and cross your t's and do things the right way so you don't cross contaminate mm-hmm. and things of that nature. Just because it's just going to lead. You know, you, there was one of the greatest arguments was, and uh, Judge Scalia, mm-hmm. bless his soul, went yeah. and actually asked the defense attorney, and I don't tell too many war stories, sure. so yeah, this the is good. handlers will probably love this one, is that the defense attorney, when he took the uh, dais to argue his position, um, Scalia did ask him one very salient point towards mm-hmm. the end of his, uh, like, 20 minutes he had to present. 
and he says to the defense attorney, well, what's the goal of the police officer out on the street when he deploys his narcotics canine? And the guy kind of scratches his head and says, well, I'm sorry, I don't really understand. He says, well, what's the officer want to do? Mm-hmm. Uh, and he says, well, I don't understand. He says, well, let me put it this way. Does the officer just want to search or does he want to search and find narcotics? Mm-hmm. So the defense attorney says, well, he wants to search and find narcotics. He goes, okay, what's the benefit of either the handler tricking intentionally, cueing the dog intentionally, doing something? Because he's then saying, all I'm doing is I really want to search because I have no idea if there's any narcotics in any odor because either I'm going to call a fake alert or I'm going to misread my dog or I'm mm-hmm. going to cue it to sit, to sit. So just because I really want to search, I yeah. don't want to find the drugs, I don't really want to arrest anybody, I get off on searching. Yeah. And he says, or do they really want to find drugs and arrest people? And he says, well, of course they want to find drugs and arrest people. And he goes, well, then why would they want to put a poor dog on the street that all that does is... You know, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80% of the time just allows them to search. So the salient point of the whole thing was when Scalia gets to the defense attorney was his point being, if you have a mediocre dope finding tool or mediocre to poor, Mm -hmm. you either are an insane cop that just likes to search and guess and waste your time because all you're doing for an hour on the side of the road is picking out random cars that you have a gut reaction to. Faking the dog alert in some way, you know, perjuring yourself Mm -hmm. because you just really want to search and probably not find anything because the dog doesn't help you, whether you cue it or you fake Mm -hmm. it or whatever. He says, or does the dog handler really want to find dope? And if he really wants to find dope, he wants a dog that's really good and proficient at what he's doing so he doesn't waste his time on the side of the road for an hour guessing about finding dope. He wants to actually find dope. And then it was a very salient point. It's like the light bulb went off of my head. I actually said to myself, you know, I've been working on this argument for six months to present. And I said, this is why these Yale and Harvard people really must get A pluses on things. Because he boiled it down to in one 60-second interaction with this defense attorney at the podium. is like, well, that really makes sense. Why would I want a dog that sucks? Mm -hmm. Because I don't get to arrest people or find any dope on a dog that sucks because I'm just guessing. Yeah, I want a proficient dog. Yeah. I want a dog that's going to find odor. And I want a dog that does lead me to drugs. And I want a dog that works well and performs well so I can win in court and my cases are good and my arrests stand up because I want to be a real active, valid police officer. I don't want a mediocre to poor dog. It does nothing for me to have yeah, a mediocre absolutely. to poor dog. And I was like... Jesus, that's a light bulb going off over my head. Sure. That never made my brief. I wish it had. Yeah. No, and and I mean the there's like I said, there's those stigmas that are out there that exist that, you know, uh, every dog handler wants to cue their dog. Um, which you, you kind of bring into a, a unique point that I've seen recently with the uh, popularity of live PD. And a lot of the uh, Canine deployments on traffic stops. I even use a couple of videos in my lecture now um, where you can call into question what is, what's been done by the dog team. And um, everybody kind of freaks out about it. My mentality is I'm, I'm okay with it. Expose some of the things that we need to draw attention to. So, because there's certain things that that shouldn't happen, you know. Um, and we need to rise to the occasion that meets the legal standards for probable cause, and if you have a dog who does not have, I'll use a demonstrative indication that's 
readable by a layman, i.e. judge, jury, whoever's watching, um, you are going to do nothing but you know, draw attention to that. Well, so the, a lot of a couple well-written appellate opinions talk about that. It, the answer that is that I know my dog and I can read my dog <laughs> is a bad answer yeah. just because it has to be objective. You, mm-hmm. if you are the judge, jury and executioner of only you know really how your dog works and only I was really there that night and only I on the side of the road really could tell that that was a dog alert, even though it's on video. Mm-hmm. Um, if it comes down to that, well, then why do you take the case to court? Because that basically what you're saying is, judge, even though you can't see it, I could. Yeah. And it's really it really happened. And you know, I think you're correct. There's a lot of... T- legal, you know, it's not a settled area of the mm-hmm. law um, about, you know, an alert and does the dog make a full sit or what the circumstances were from, again, single purpose passive, let's say. Um, did he come to a full sit or if he didn't sit, why he didn't sit? And then you talk about, well, sit's my alert, but there's no sit on the video. But I'm going to say that because he lifted a paw and, I don't know, nudged the door with his nose, that that was an indication this night. You know, if you really get into it, and if you don't have any other videos of the dog lifting a paw and nudging the door, or if that's not how you were trained, and if that's not what your records show, you know, who are you fooling? Mm-hmm. You know, so um, the bottom line is there may be uh, a reason that you can articulate that your dog only sat 75% mm-hmm. or, um, but there's going to be some indication that he mm-hmm. was sitting or trying to sit or something. Maybe there was some, you know, I, for those of you that ever worked a dog on a boat, um, they yeah. think, mom, dad, you put me on this boat. And the first two or three times they're exposed to it, they're like, holy shit, the yeah. earth is moving. Yeah. Um, until you get them acclimated to it, they, they freak out over boats. And there's certain surfaces and areas. And I always make the analogy, you're going to hear it tomorrow in my lecture, that if it comes up that, you know, man, if you're in Alabama in 100-degree weather and fresh asphalt, <laughs> I don't know how many people want to put their testicles really close yeah. to the, you know, 156-degree asphalt. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as long as you can explain it with yeah. some degree of what you see on the video is what's supposed to happen, not everything has to be a USPCA-certified 100% saluted suit, SID either. Yeah. But you're right. It does have to be something that objectively can be viewed and ascertained because the answer can't be, I know my dog yeah. better than anybody. And what I'm telling you that night was an Correct. alert yeah. when, you know, that's not the normal, let's say, characteristics mm-hmm. that your dog would use. And judges are starting to frown on the, uh, well, it may not be their counselor, but I can <laughs> tell you, I know my dog. Oh, yeah. No, I've read a few cases about that. And like you said, they're not telling you the dog has to be in a certain position or not. They're just saying that that indication alert has to be demonstrative enough that anybody looking at it can say something happened at that location. Well, let's just be honest. You should be able to look at it and say that dog had a change sure. of behavior. And the change of behavior should in some way, shape, or form mimic what it was taught and trained to do. Absolutely. And you really shouldn't shift from, and here's the one. So if you see me, don't throw a tomato at me. But <laughs> you know, if you train your dog to sit, let's say single person passive, yep. but I see a lot of dogs that, that lock up. Mm-hmm. and freeze and mm-hmm. stare. Mm-hmm. And if your dog is a sitting dog yep. for four years in a row yeah. and that's the way it certifies and that's what it does yeah. and you're doing real aware, and tonight you go out and your dog locks up and stares, you better have an explanation why he didn't sit. 
Yeah. Because you can't just shift gears and Correct. say tonight he was a frozen statue yeah. stare dog when all my other indications are set. And then you call that, and you, but your answer is, well, I just know my dog. Yeah. Or even worse, it's written in policy that their indication is a SID or their certification standard that they went and certified to lists its final indication or final response or, you know, the alert is a SID. Well, then now you have painted yourself into that corner and you're like you said stuck explaining that mm-hmm. and uh, i think you're right it doesn't say that you know mm-hmm. that it has to sit 100 mm-hmm. percent and but i think you have to say that the average person would yep. say i saw a change of behavior i saw mm-hmm. something that yeah. would mimic a sit or yep. something in some way yep. shape or form and then you'd be able to articulate why it was only 50 percent or 75 mm-hmm. percent or why it happened to say in a partial fashion or sure. something like that. But if you truly don't see a sit, well, then mm. I don't know why you would claim on that particular way. Yeah. And then the way people are getting around it was, well, that was just, you know, I know my dog and I know yeah. my dog characteristics. And that night that was an alert. Uh, and I fully agree. It can't be something like that. You know, a lot of the dogs, and you know me well enough, a lot of dogs I train, I do instinctively what the dog does in odor, which in general, like you pointed out, which is a point. A lot of dogs freeze up. Yeah, please don't take what I said to yeah, be yeah, anti-stare. No, no. <laughs> I mean, no, no. if your dog is, is freeze stare, and then stare, then, yeah. it, then I'll give you the opposite. Yeah. If he sits, then you shouldn't be calling Correct. the sit the alert because Correct. where's my freeze and my stare? Yeah. So, you know, there's yeah. nothing wrong with mm-hmm. whatever your dog does. It mm-hmm. just should either do it consistently or something that's mm-hmm. similar to what it's consistently mm-hmm. trained to do yeah. with a moderate explanation of why you don't see it like 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I get a lot of dogs that for whatever reason I've seen that for whatever reason, mm-hmm. they do do a, like a 50% sit. They don't mm-hmm. ever go to 100 but that's what they do consistently. Correct, yeah. And then I would say, well, you know, then you'd say to the judge, you know, well, that 50%, let's say, tail to the, you know, butt to the ground mm-hmm. is what my dog generally does. Yeah. And um, that's what I normally see, and that's what I called that night. No, he doesn't sit 100% like, I, like I'm going to give him a treat in my living room, but mm-hmm. that's what I've trained him to do, and that's what he does, and that's how I, what I called it. And then if, you know, if that's the routine for your dog, so be it. But then, it, you know, it shouldn't be a lay down on the ground, it shouldn't be a scratching at the door, and it shouldn't be a freeze, because mm-hmm. if your dog doesn't routinely do those things or something similar or close to it, yeah. then you shouldn't be calling the other change of behavior, yeah. um, you your, know, my, or, my alert. Yeah. Or, and again, I, some of you, again, I, you know, I, I'll use terms interchangeably as the lawyer. Some people <laughs> like alert, some people like indication, indication yeah. some people yeah. like final response. Yeah. Um, just be careful when you get with a defense attorney you know, you may be using alert to mean change of behavior. Yeah. Uh, he may be using final, and you may be using alert to yeah. be the analogy to final response. Mm-hmm. So make sure if you're going to depot or you're giving testimony that you clarify terms mm-hmm. because I see a lot of cases that I read where a judge is talking about an alert and I'm reading it to be change of behavior Correct. and I know the lingo and what a dog does. Yeah. And um, so you get a lot of... I, I kind of like final indication to be a trained set. Well, you bring up what the forensic board had mentioned and the other scientists and behaviorists said, a dog indicates to its handler it has found odor. So indication is the word that they go by because that's technically 
by definition, what it's doing. Yeah, but you and I know that 80% Correct. of the handlers down Don't, here having a beer tonight are going to say, my dog alerted. alerted. Absolutely. So, so, but, I mean, I, I'm yeah, fine with either yeah, term, but yeah. I'm just saying the term's got to be defined Correct. as it's used in court. And, yeah. and I'm happy with either one, mm -hmm. but you've got to make sure when you say alert, you're yep. not meaning change Your of behavior. behavior you're meaning of final response. Yeah. So, just so basically when you're talking about apples, everybody knows you're talking about apples, Correct. whatever term you use. Yeah, no, 100% agree. So... Um, on that front, how have you seen the scientific aspects um, coming into the detection legally? What's is there anything unique you've seen recently, or things that you're seeing coming down the pike? Um, and, and I'll give an example. So the state of Illinois now mandates, as of I think it was September 16th or 15th or whatever it was, that because of the whole sensor aspect, that they at least do an odor recognition test along with the yearly or however often it is, the operational uh, evaluation or test, the certification. So they're saying is one aspect is we're doing an odor recognition. Okay, the dog knows the odors in this very controlled condition uh, against proofing and distracting odors. And then moving on from that, you do the typical X amount of cars, X amount of rooms, and that encompasses the overall review. It's like a state certification. Correct, yes. So reason behind it is, one, it breaks it down as, hey, look, in a controlled setting, the dog knows the odor, and here's how we're doing it. To include sometimes uh, now with the whole marijuana, marijuana is present as a distracting odor. Okay. And so it then it gives that legal precedent of, say, look, we've there's an odor recognition test done I think it's yearly for them. Uh, there's been different propositions to maybe do it quarterly. It's that calibration of that machine, of that sensor. Well, like how quarterly will be a yeah, royal a pain bit, in the tush. It, it could be. The other thing floating around is if a handler's off the dog or a handler's been uh, inactive for more than 30 days, when they come back to duty, they run that just to show, okay, yeah, we're, the, the machine is calibrated and we're proficient. Um, that's one aspect, and I, I'm seeing that happen more and more, only because also it's used a lot in every other form of detection out there. There is a uh, slang, NORT, ORT, whatever you want to call it, the odor recognition test, um, as like a starting point. Well, you know, that's probably done to appease what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> um, ignorant, and I don't mean mm -hmm. ignorant as stupid, I mean just yeah. without knowledge. Yeah. Civilian legislatures because, or, or judges that don't really, you know, the best thing they know about a dog was their poodle bit them when sure. they were six. Um, but they're doing it because they want to show proficiency on a real basic level. And that's the keep it simple, stupid method. Mm -hmm. My dog can go to a box and sit next to mm -hmm. cocaine and not sit next to a blank box. Sure. Um, uh, uh, I'm trying to be nice, but yeah. a, a novice can grasp that. Sure, exactly. So no, they, exactly. they like the keep it simple, stupid yep. method to a judge um, who's going to evaluate, and it's probably tougher for a defense attorney to fight when there's, let's say, maintaining some type mm -hmm. of uh, quarterly, semi-annually, sure. or at least annually, yep. odor recognition scenario. But not I, I, I don't know a lot of states that are going to that, but I guess they were having a lot of court issues and problems, so they're trying to basically do dumb it down for mm -hmm. the average person because mm -hmm. you know, the average handler... Mm -hmm. 
probably thinks this is a waste of time. And because it, it, I don't know people, I have to be honest with you, yeah. I've seen dogs retired for two years. Oh, yeah. And, you, and not dog. work and then come out just because, you know, dad happens to bring them out with his new dog and, and you know, they're screwing around. And next thing you know, he's sitting next to a freaking car and he hasn't been put on odor for two years or something. Yeah. Retired oh, yeah. and the dog's still top notch. Oh, yeah. But he's been retired after 10 oh, years. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of this stuff for good dogs mm-hmm. is, you know, They'll take care of themselves. Yeah, it, well, and where I see the path going is it falls under that instrument, the sensor. So whether it be an intoxilizer or the laser, yeah. those things are calibrated. So this falls in line with that approach. Um, and like you said, and, and Andy said the same thing. Is like, doesn't hurt anything. Does it have to be done? I don't think it has to be done. But is it going to take away? Is it, it going to hurt the dog it team? It makes the average civilian, and mm-hmm. by civilian, I don't mean jurors. I mean, but people involved in the court system that aren't dog related, it makes them feel warm and fuzzy. Sure. Yeah. And that's, that's yeah. what it is. It's a, yeah. I hate to say it, it's a dog and pony show, as you miss my air quotes, <laughs> uh, to the average person. I mean, because judges are just lawyers in robes. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not bad or good, but yeah. it doesn't make them, you know, dog experts. Sure. But if they can easily conceptualize, that example mm-hmm. and it feels better if like twice a year independently they just do older recognition so like i know the nose mm-hmm. is sharp sure you and i and the people listening here are probably you know giggling that that's yeah. just an extra day of work that i can't mm-hmm. be on the road or something mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um but it it is the keep sim- keep it simple it's making oh, yeah. judges lawyers aclu mm-hmm. dog haters mm-hmm. cop haters mm-hmm. it makes them warm and fuzzy that there's some kind of um, proficiency baseline, baseline yeah. going on, yeah. and you and I are all probably just giggling because you know it goes back to my Scully example. Who mm-hmm. wants a sucky dog? Yeah, um, no, for sure. I mean, so we all know that a vast majority of narcotics canines, and there's some okay, there's some bad handlers, and there's sure. some bad dogs, oh, yeah. but the vast majority are good. Sure, and. Doing the simplest task, if it makes a judge happy, if it makes the legislature happy, makes your mayor and your city manager happy, mm-hmm. then all right, Wednesday afternoon, every uh, March 1st and every November 1st, we'll do some odor recognition. Sure. So if sure, it makes no. them happy and it gives you a better court, warm and fuzzy for yeah. everybody evaluating, more power to you. Yeah. No, and like it's pretty much in line with what Andy said. Hey, it's not going to take anything away from what you do. Um, so there, you, I'll circle back to the marijuana one only for I, I, I thought of a question that I know some handlers may have. And let's just say, yeah, that you get a your dog, and I'll use our new term, indicates to the vehicle. Um, on subsequent search of the vehicle, they've located marijuana and cocaine. Which is obviously fairly common. This happens. Okay. Um, it's questioned. Well, what do what do we I assume? With? We're not in Massachusetts. No, we're not in Massachusetts. Um, how how is that navigator? What would you advice would you give on the legal aspect? Because one side of the equation is, oh, the dog must have alerted to the marijuana, or and the answer is we both know. We don't know what it was. Correct. So how do we, uh, what some of the things a handler can go through or discuss with the attorney uh, in regards to a, a, a case like that? Well, the simple thing is if you're in an illegal marijuana state, 
you don't have to listen yeah, to the easy. next answer. You're you're golden <laughs> you're because you know. Fast forward thirty you know, seconds. Okay, like if you're in Nebraska, marijuana is illegal in Nebraska. It's not mm-hmm. medical in Nebraska. It's not legal in any form in Nebraska. Yeah. And if you're buying your Colorado pot and driving through Nebraska, headed back to uh, Florida, and you drive through Nebraska and you get stopped, good luck to your trooper because you're illegally possessing, possessing mm-hmm. marijuana. Mm-hmm. So we don't care what yeah. you odor your does. Now, if you're in a medical marijuana state, there's a lot of medical marijuana law that is in tune with like what Arizona gave you. Sure. Or a decriminalized state like mm-hmm. Maryland, we've already talked about. It's still probable cause. Yeah. So your bottom line is, is it if it you have to kind of go through, and most of the folks here probably would hear my DUI analogy. So for all our cop listeners, if you get out of your canine mind and just go into Jane and Joe Road Patrol, you know how many of you out there have ever just made a stop based upon what you believe is probable cause that the person may be has consumed alcohol and drunk driving mm-hmm. impaired driving and you get up there and you actually do roadside sobriety tests and you see some signs of impairment with uh let's say you may be a little bit unsteady maybe a little bit of search each bloodshot eyes whatever and then you get out there but they pass the roadside tests they literally touch their nose they walk and turn they mm-hmm. do whatever it is and you write them their weaving ticket or whatever it is and their license is valid and away they go well, there's nothing illegal about that stop. There's nothing illegal about that investigation. They happen to be found to be not under the influence to the extent that they were impaired and not to drive. Well, they're same scenario for marijuana dogs in either legal marijuana states or medical marijuana states. You find an odor. Mm-hmm. It, let's just say it could be marijuana. But there are five things in this state. What, let's say if it's medical, first of all, do you have a prescription? Are you in the database? Is the doctor licensed to practice in your state with a marijuana prescribing scenario? Because mm-hmm. the states, is it was it purchased from a licensed distributing venue? Because just because you have medical marijuana and maybe you even see a doctor that could prescribe marijuana, and let's say you're in the database, but you ran out of your medical <laughs> marijuana and you got it from your neighbor's basement, yep. you're arrestable. Yep. So if you figure out the parameters for medical marijuana, and like I said, if they do hit the parameters, all the bells and whistles, then they get their weaving ticket and away they go. Mm-hmm. If it's in a legal state, mm-hmm. um, but you got to be, you know, Whatever states are, they generally have an age limit. Like you got to be 21. Again, it has to be purchased from a licensed facility. Um, It only can be in certain amounts. I mean, you can't have a pound of marijuana legally in any state. Mm -hmm. Um, It's generally grams of, you Mm -hmm. know, some type of personal use, you know, six grams, eight grams, 10 grams or something. So if you get caught with, 48 grams, mm-hmm. you've violated the law in that state. California so, calls that user amount, but... Forgive me for all my California friends, but w- about four years ago when I learned that you could have a crack rock and give somebody a ticket, yeah. I kind of gave up on my yeah. low-level narcotics oh, in yeah. California. But yeah. uh, um, but you know what I'm just saying is that there are parameters for you to investigate whether they're in lawful medical possession or lawful legal possession, if they are, they get their ticket and away mm-hmm. they go. If they're not, they're arrestable. So mm-hmm. my DUI analogy is pretty apropos. There's nothing wrong with investigating you having an illegal substance. It turns out to be marijuana. And whether you're in lawful possession of that marijuana or not, <clears throat> whether it be lawful through medical or lawful through the state's legal parameters, but mm-hmm. in limited amounts with the mm-hmm. right age from the right place. Because, mm-hmm. again, 
growing your crippy weed in your yeah. basement. It's just <laughs> even though it's legal in the state, it's not legally done. Yep. They're not getting their tax money <laughs> oh, like they God. want. This is all about tax Texas money then, yeah. and the whole nine yards and and um I don't know. So um So what know. if the thing is so they've got everything's legal about the marijuana, but there's cocaine in the vehicle. You know, obviously now the officer makes the arrest off of that. But the fear that comes in is, well, I gotta try to tell them that the dog you know, my dog alerted the car, and you kind of hit the thing. But I, I, I know we've because I've had conversations with some of these handlers before where there's that pushback on the legal side. Well, I'm not touching it because they had the marijuana legally. I don't know, and you can't tell me what that dog alerted to in the car. Well, my answer is unless the state like Massachusetts or Colorado tells you that a dog imprinted on marijuana is not probable cause, fight the fight. Yep. That's what I was wanting to hear because that's what they're afraid of. And and I, I get it. Obviously, guys or Look, gals. Let's yeah. just cut to the chase. Yep. Let's say you're the cop out there with the crack rock and the joint. Yep. And you're in a legal marijuana state. And mm-hmm. I don't know where that joint came sure. from, and neither do you. And I don't know where they alerted to the crack rock or the joint. Fight the fight. Absolutely. Because when you lose, let's just say you lose in your circuit court level and you lose in your appellate level, and I don't know, let's go back to Kansas. Yeah. The Kansas <laughs> Supreme Court says, no, if there's two drugs found and one's a legal substance, um, whether it's medical or legal or whatever, and you can't really know, you can't tell me whether it was the illegal substance or legal, so don't use a dog You know, if that's the substance. Don't make the arrest or whatever. Then you've helped every dog handler in the state of Kansas figure out that problem mm-hmm. but if you just punt every time yep. that's why we're having this podcast absolutely <laughs> if nobody does it you're never going to get an answer don't prosecutors cops as long as you're telling the truth and you're doing a good faith job and you say this is what i found and how i found it and what i did and i arrested the guy fight the fight yeah because until that court tells you you've done something wrong then keep doing it yeah no, and I'll, the last thing I'll bring up is this one, and, it's, and I know it's near and dear to you. Who do I send this bill to? Yeah, I know, right? Podcast? <laughs> well, I don't do it Jeff style. I don't do twenty minutes. But uh, the um, the the last question is the. It is. I know this is near and dear to you and Andy's heart. The constant handlers that put out the argument: I don't reward my dog when it's on the. I deploy my dog on a street call. I love this. You guys can't see Ted's hanging his head down right now. Please list the leak because they're always afraid. Well, what if I alerted? What if I rewarded my dog? Well, look, <laughs> here's the. I can't even finish the statement. Well, let me just tell you. Yeah, go ahead. It's and I I apologize if I do offend anybody, but I'm as conservative of a prosecutor and pro dog guy as you're going to find in the United States, um, or at least those two combined, and. It's oxymoronic, mm-hmm. that particular scenario. And yeah. I don't really mean to offend anybody, but if I sat down to a handler that said doesn't reward on the street and you and I had this conversation, he would tell me his dog's an odor dog. Mm-hmm. He proofs off of other things. Yep. He trains regularly. Yep. His dog sits single-purpose passive on Wednesday nights. Uh, he's certified by his dog sitting, you know, and single-purpose passive, and his dog got rewarded and blah, 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 blah. But then I got out on the street, and uh, I train well, and I certify well, and I and I trust my dog. Um, I call that cabinet right there, even though I didn't open it. That cabinet's got dope odor in it, you know. Okay, 
But then I get out in the world, and the dog sits next to the vehicle, which is telling me there's odor coming from the, say, car door seam. And I don't ever reward. I never reward. Let me just walk you through this. And Andy probably touched on a lot of this. Yeah. Well, first of all, why do you never reward? Because in certification you would reward or on the training you would reward. It's because it's warm and fuzzy for you. People are watching, training. Somebody knows where the dope is. Probably as soon as your dog's halfway through a sit, you're your buddy who put the dope next to the gas tank is going good mm-hmm. and then boom out comes the toy so yep. you get instant gratification as the human believe it or not but you don't have somebody yelling good when your guy stops next to the road on the seam and you've yeah. got this you got this agita going you've yeah. got the butterflies in your uh-huh. stomach i don't really know so I'm this nervous. is what you do this is what you do and if you ever answer i didn't reward because i don't know what he found you've just <laughs> shot yourself in the foot for all your training, all your weekly training, all your certifications, because you don't know where those are either, but you're rewarding during those scenarios. But to get out on the street and say, my dog sits and I never reward, means you don't believe your dog alerts to odor out in the real world when it sits. Mm -hmm. And you should not worry about whether there's drugs found in the car or not. We've already talked about Harris, and that's all been debunked in the, mm-hmm. the false alert scenario. Yep. Your dog alerts to odor. Yeah. It's something that humans can't smell most likely yep. and um, most of the time, and that you can't see or quantify out on the road. So, you know, look, you can stand there all you want and say did to, did to, and the defense attorney say did not, did not, and it doesn't prove your dog did anything wrong. Mm-hmm. And if you really believe your dog's... You, they, then, let me just work you through this scenario. First thing I'm going to tell the judge is you're driving home after the motion is suppressed, but the two lawyers are still arguing that you don't trust your dog. Oh, yeah. Because, and what I'm in favor of is what I I would hope that Andy probably does, it says, is a variable reward system. Absolutely. Let's just cut it to the chase. Let's just, because it's easy math. If you had 75 alerts, you would hope that 25 of the percent of the time, or 25 of those, you would literally reward. Let's say this again: single-purpose passive yeah. dog. Let's just say sits. Mm-hmm. Boom! Out comes mm-hmm. the towel, the con, whatever, yeah. whatever, the tennis ball, whatever it is. Uh, another 25 percent. That's one third of the time is verbal praise. Mm-hmm. You go up and your voice goes crazy. You get that high-pitched opera sound, and you're yelling. Woo! And you're rubbing ears and scratching bellies and oh nine yards, and you put your dog away. And the other 25%, the other one-third, is nothing happens. Mm -hmm. There's no reaction by Mm -hmm. you. There's no toy, no Mm -hmm. reward. There is Mm -hmm. no praise, Mm -hmm. and your dog goes back to the car. Mm -hmm. Now, that's because you want the dog to have a high drive. If For those of you who never reward on the street, you have a trust-your-dog problem, Mm -hmm. and you're also going to have a drive problem, your dog's not an idiot. Yeah. It knows the difference between it's training night on Wednesday and you know, I'm going to go out and I'm going to find some dope and I'm going to get rewarded and dad's going to be happy. And I go to the same tow yard every third Wednesday and I go to the same park and do this. You know, yep. They know it as opposed to being out on the street on a Saturday night and you never reward. What do you think your dog's aspect? You've been working a dog yeah. for five years. Every time it gets out on Saturday and every time it circles a car for the first time, it knows this game sucks. Yep. This Absolutely. game's no fun. Yep. I never get rewarded. Yep. I'm going to do my fucking crap and away yep. I get shoved back in the freaking refrigerator back seat. Yep. And then 20 minutes later, dad comes gets me. Miracle of miracle. <laughs> I'm circling the same car. 
I'm sitting again, and boom, out comes the Kong, the uh-huh. toy, the tennis ball, the yeah. tape. And then your dog's drive the second time mm-hmm. is really high mm-hmm. because he knows he's going to win. Yeah. The first time, it's a fucking two. Yeah. Excuse me. Can we cuss yeah. on a oh, podcast? Oh, yeah, you can cuss on it's it. It's a fucking two because yep. he never gets rewarded. Yeah. So his drive to get out of the car in the real world's a two. Yep. And his drive 20 minutes later is an eight or a nine or a 10 because he always gets rewarded the second time. And if he never gets back out of the car, then he knows, well, if, you know, wh- yeah. what am I teaching him? The game's no fun. Not only Absolutely. did I circle the car, but I smelt odor and I sat. I didn't even get rewarded no because you know what? Because you didn't find any dope. You get yeah. no reinforcement. And then you're saying, well, I didn't get him back out because Lord knows I don't know. You do. You do. For everybody out there, let me just tell you, you know what your dog alerted to. A molecular odor in the air of cocaine, marijuana, methamphetamine, heroin. Mm-hmm. It alerted to that. And yep. if you don't believe that and you're not willing to say it, get out of the dog business. Uh, you got it right. And, and you could not have said that better. And I, I laugh when I – because I'll have handlers come up and you've seen it. They come up to you guys. My dog, see, on the street it does this. But in training it does that. Well, you created, just as you described, you created those conditions. In training, it's Christmas freaking morning. Tennis balls are flying in all different directions. Then all of a sudden on a real stop, crickets. You might get a good boy, drag the dog off, what have you. How many reps do you think the dog figures out? All these conditions, lights, radio, blah, 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 blah. Oh, what am I going to get out of this one? Nothing. Or the best one also is, you probably see this a lot of times, I always ask handlers, what's the most you know common area your dog is showing indication at? Oh, yeah, driver's side. Oh, why is that? Well, uh, and I get them thinking about it. Where's all the conglomeration of odor right now? Your odor, the initiating officer's odor, the person who's in the car. There's a lot of, and the very first time your dog did a little head snap to that area, you're like, oh, maybe I got something. And then you praised or rewarded or what have you, and then you went, oh, I didn't find anything. Well, then it happens again. And we there's a couple conditions happening there. One is, one, the dog at times doesn't get reinforcement, so he's going to keep trying, like, how about now? Do you want this this time? Uh, the yeah, other one... frustrate the dog. Yeah, exactly. Uh, then the other time is, you know, they go to actually, you know, search the vehicle, they don't find anything. So then they think the dog's lying to them. The dog might have been right. So then you got this teeter-totter going on. Well, dogs don't lie. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. And I, and I had Brian Hare talk about that, Please. too. Yeah. And, uh, but the handlers, if, that's if, what they'll do. Let me do. just tell yeah. you, if a dog can lie, <laughs> then we got to get out of the dog business. Yeah. Because then the answer is going to be, if my dog lied to me, or here's my favorite one. Yeah. This is my favorite one. Had a bad day. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, if my dog had a bad day on Tuesday, mm-hmm. let's just say, and you literally say that, like, mm-hmm. oh, boy, my dog had a bad day today. Then I ask you, how do you fix it? Uh-huh. And if your answer is, I don't understand. I said, well, if your dog can decide next week, mm-hmm. Thursday, I'm going to have a bad day. Mm-hmm. And I guess and somehow that means like he's going to be alerting the things he doesn't <laughs> normally do and he doesn't. Now, dogs can have low motivation. Sure. They can dogs, be sick, tired, can be all sick. those things, yeah. Uh, yeah, he can be overworked and yeah. tired and not perform well. But a dog doesn't get up out of your car on a normal circumstances and say, fuck, it's been six years. <laughs> You know, I had I'm a really, you not paying me I, on had, I had a really good time watching the Super Bowl on Sunday <laughs> yeah. with you, Dad. Puppy I just bowl. I just don't want to get up out of bed today. Oh, you got me up. Oh, you put me in the car. Oh, you know, I'm you know what? I'm just gonna go out to the next first car we go to. Uh-huh. I'm gonna circle it for ten seconds. And then after I get a quarter around the car, I'm going to wag my tail. I'm going to have a head snap. 
I'm going to open my mouth and let my tongue hang out or something and then have rapid breathing. Then I'm going to bracket a fictitious scent cone. And then I'm going to walk over and I'm going to sit because I want to get this fucking game over yeah. with because I'm having a bad day. You know, I, I don't get, get me back in the yeah. damn car. So the dog is lying to you. Yeah. Um, if that can happen, let me just tell you, you can't fix it. Because that means the dog is an independent, sentient being yeah. and is making rational human decisions. Yeah. And you can't fix that. Because if the dog has ability to say, today's not the day, and you can't fix it, and you can't make it work, that means the dog can decide any one of the 364 days it goes out there that today's not my day. And matter of fact, he could say, this week's not my week, and fuck up your whole week. (laughs) So if a dog can independently think that way, which it can't, um, then we're in a world of hurt if you start selling that, uh, you could... That that's sand Arabs or something. I, I was going to say you're going to make my cognition business even better because <laughs> I'd have to go down a whole new set of wor- uh, wormholes uh, on that aspect. So with that, thank you so hey, much for taking the time. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, I mean, very rarely do you and I get to you know shoot oh, the yeah, shit no. like this and it, have fun. I actually, kind of enjoyed it. I hope your uh, uh, handlers uh, have enjoyed it and got some valuable information. Uh, I enjoy doing what I'm doing, and I'm hoping yeah. I'm helping. Uh, uh, dog handlers across the country because we're doing the best we can do and uh, if you get a chance folks uh come to hits and if it can't be 2020 we bounce it around almost every august somewhere yep. so we'd love to see you in the future yeah well you're always easily accessible i would say so i know there's you're you always try to make yourself available to the dog teams that are out there with questions how, how do people get a hold of you yeah the easiest way um is ted my first name was ted at Hits, H I T S K, the letter nine, the number, dot net. So Ted at hits K nine dot net mm-hmm. is my email address. Um, some days you're fortunate and you'll get an answer within four hours. Um, some days it'll be a week because I may be stuck doing my real job or maybe I'm out here at CNCA. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm just on vacation. Um, but if you just about the time, if it takes a week to 10 days for me to get back to you, now I'll be honest with you. If it's, uh, Hey, I got a motion suppressed tomorrow. The likelihood of me being able to help you mm-hmm. is not real good. But if yeah. you say, Hey, I got one in 30 days, my prosecutor, you know, says that, you know, you're full of shit, that this, there's no law out there that says this. If you give me enough time, um, I'm always willing to email you cases. I'm always willing to give you some basic answers. Um, but I'll, I'll say this. Do me one favor. Don't have your prosecutors fight with me. Uh, don't have your supervisors come yell at me. Uh, I'm glad to provide the handler as much information as help and answer questions. I do it fairly routinely, at least once or twice a week from a handler somewhere randomly throughout the United States. Um, and if you've ever been to one of my lectures and you've written down cases or topics and you, uh, this is, has happened. I'll tell you one quick war story. If yeah, you know, go right ahead. I had a, a female handler call me, it was one of my proudest moments, call me and say, Ted, I went to one of your lectures and there was a case about um, a dog alerting and towing a car. And she was, I believe, up in, if you're listening to me, more power to you. She was like up in Wisconsin or Minnesota area. Okay. And she says, uh, so we towed the car up here and the prosecutor can't find anything. And the defense attorney's claiming that towing the car was illegal. And the judge says, I don't know. I never heard anything about that. She's, it's all in an email. Do you remember? And she says, I saw you wherever it was three years ago. I wrote a note down, you know, towing a car is okay or something like that. Uh-huh. And uh, I, so I sent her the case. 
It was right there. It was easy. She sent me a response back two weeks later. The judge just wrote the order and wrote a factual paragraph about you know what happened, whatever. Wrote one case down in the order denying the motion to suppress. Your tow case was the only case that he relied on and said it's because there was a federal case out there that says you could tow a vehicle to search it interdiction purposes mm-hmm. after the dog alert mm-hmm. was not a search and seizure violation or whatever. One case from an email, from a lecture, and she said, thank you very much, and said the prosecutor thanks you very much, and thank you for helping me out. And you know, stuff like that makes you feel good. Absolutely. That that pays dividends and shares that information on, on something that could have been a lost ca- a lost case or lost cause, and you know, someone got away with something they probably shouldn't have, but at least there, the information shared made a difference. Yep. And that's what a podcast like this is for. That's what your the HITS conference is for. It is to share information at the end of the day to make us all better at our job. Again, thank you so much. As I told you before, gentleman and a scholar. Well, one out of two ain't bad, but I'm not telling you which one. Exactly. Thank you so much. All right, buddy. Thank you. Ford Canine Training and Consulting. Ford Canine has a number of different seminars where I come to you and do courses such as canine cognition testing, detection using cognition, canine integration with tactical operations, the science of E, which is a class based on the understanding of remote callers and how to best utilize them, police canine decoy training, or if you need me to come out and consult or do certifications under CNCA and PCA, National Police Canine Association, or even California Post. If you need any of these and more, go to my website, www.fordfordk9.com. On my website are a number of different classes and formats as well as the ability to contact me and schedule phone or video consulting with or about your canine or your canine program. That phone number is 702-706-DOGS, D-O-G-S. Contact me either via email, Cameron, C-A-M-E-R-O-N, at Ford, F-O-R-D, K-Number-9.com, to schedule an appointment or a seminar, and I look forward to hearing from you. Georgia Police Canine Foundation is a 501c3 nonprofit organization with a mission to help canine units. They do this by sometimes providing equipment that might be needed for a canine unit. Maybe it's training, finding a seminar that they fund to get a unit exposure to some training needs that they don't get normally through the routine monthly training. They also provide funds for retired canines who no longer have the support from their agency for the care as they get older. Georgia Police Canine Foundation is here for you, but they're also looking for donations to help this great mission and to help canine programs from around the United States. So if you're looking to help, you want to make a donation, go to www.ga police k number nine foundation.org again that website is www.ga police canine foundation.org are you a canine handler in the west or northwest united states 
and you're looking for a different or a new canine conference to go to, then I would look at the Pacific Northwest Canine Conference. This is going to be held May 18th to the 22nd in Walla Walla, Washington. I have been at the Pacific Northwest Canine Conference now uh, more than a few times, and it is a conference where you get classroom as well as multiple working dog stations uh, throughout those days. Um, It keeps you busy. You're not just sitting in a classroom. If you are a person who says, okay, I want some classroom, but then I want to go out and actually uh, apply some of the things that the instructors talk about, then the Pacific Northwest Canine Conference is a great one to attend. Uh, Last year, they had the NYPD Transit Bureau Bomb Dog Teams there. Uh, the instructors and the admin from that program put on a excellent class. Then they went out and did scenarios from lessons learned that they've been through with the NYPD. It was uh, very eye-opening to say the least. Um, this conference is for narcotic and explosive detection dog handlers to include firearms detection dog handlers. For information to sign up and register, go to pnwk9.org. That is P as in Paul, N as in November, W as in whiskey, K as in kilo, nine, the number nine, .org. So pnwk9.org. Uh, sign up for the conference. Um, again, those dates are May 18th to the 22nd, and it's going to be in Walla Walla, Washington. Are you looking for a good three-day or a weekend-type seminar? Then check out the Sniff and Bite Seminars. Sniff and Bite seminars are ones where we spend a day and a half doing detection and a day and a half doing bite work slash patrol work, depending on what you do. So whether you're a civilian that does sport or you are a law enforcement officer working your dog as a dual purpose dog or even single purpose dog, check out the Sniff and Bite seminars. I just conducted one uh, a few weeks ago in Ocala, Florida with Carlos Ramirez. And everybody that went through that seminar was challenged in one way or another, whether it be detection or on the patrol side of things, the bite work side of things. Uh, A few of the officers got to kind of see some uh, levels of decoy resistance that they had not encountered probably ever. Every sniff and bite seminar is designed to challenge you, but also enhance your education as to the hows and the whys. And then we go out and actually do it. The next Sniff and Bite Seminar is going to be held here in Las Vegas at Silver State Canine. Carlos Ramirez is going to come to Las Vegas. We are going to do our three-day seminar here, and we're going to add a new component. We are going to add some decoy training and education. So if you want to step up your game as a decoy, then make sure you show up for the Sniff and Bite Seminar in Las Vegas. Detection-wise, we are going to push some limits there as well. You have my playground at Set City, Las Vegas, with all the tools I have at my home turf. So if you want to come and push yourself detection-wise, make sure you sign up for that seminar. The dates for that seminar, February 28th, 29th, and March 1st. Go to SilverStateCanine.com, go to the calendar, go to those dates, click on that, and register. The next Sniff and Bite seminar will be held in Tennessee with Justin Rigney. I will go out there. That'll be held in May. Go to canineservicesunlimited.com. Contact Justin to sign up for that one. On a side note, if you do not 
know Carlos Ramirez. Carlos Ramirez is a fantastic trainer and an excellent decoy. If you get a chance, go check out his website, carlosramirezk9.com. That's Ramirez spelled R-A-M-I-R-E-Z and then K9.com. So carlosramirezk9.com. Go check him out and I'll put a link in the show notes. Hello and welcome to this episode of K9's Talking Sense. I'm your host, Cameron Ford, and I am still here in Palm Springs at the CNCA conference. This time I get to sit down with a guest who he and I have known each other for a number of years, but finally got to meet face to face this past year at CNCA. Uh, we're both Las Vegas residents and uh, extensive law enforcement career that he's had and now he has retirement but i think he probably works more in retirement than he did before so uh with that said mel welcome to the show and uh just give some people your background a little bit so they get to know a little more about you well thanks for having me i appreciate it um i started way back getting out of college i uh i was gonna be a veterinarian thought that'd be a great place to go mm-hmm. And I got my letter of acceptance, and that same day I applied to be a police officer because that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to go catch bad guys. And my goal was is ultimately make it to K-9. Um, so I did 28 and a half years on the street pushing a black and white, but I did 21 of that uh, working a dog. So um, was I had a great opportunity working for the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department, but better yet, in the group of K-9 guys that were there and little, you know, we kind of jumped outside ourselves a little bit by instead of going the dual dog method back in 2000, we started a program and took it to the department and said, Hey, since we work in the heat and the way we, we do things uh, and we're, we're so um, active in this town, could we have two dogs instead of the one? So we, they thought it was a great idea. I think we did some good salesmanship on it. And so they actually, we actually uh, ran two dogs for our career. Um, when I got into training, it wasn't something I ever started to do or wanted to do. I got approached, hey, would you do this? And I, I got into it. I ended up finding out that I, I could fit a third dog in the back of my truck. <laughs> so I ended up running most of my career running three dogs. It was usually a dope dog, a bomb dog, and my patrol dog. Um, and I'll be honest with you, I get enjoyment out of, mo- out of all of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Of course, the, the adrenaline coming from working a patrol dog is something that's awesome. But... My detection work, to me, that's the foundation of everything. If, you, if the dog won't use their nose, what good are they? Yeah. You know, we can teach a lot of dogs to bite. That's called sport work. Yeah. But that's not what police do. Mm-hmm. No. Um, you, you bring up a unique thing there. I want to hit that while you're on that topic. Uh, like you said, you guys have been known as one of the few that have been able to do that multiple dog per handler program and have two dogs uh, with, a, you know, with one handler. I know you guys don't start – every handler off with two dogs is that something that you know you start off with your 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 uh patrol dog and then you eventually get a single purpose dog correct yeah that's a year with your patrol dog mm-hmm. um basically a year finding out which end actually eats which end actually poops <laughs> yep um you know you make a joke out of it but the whole thing is is you have to you kind of have to earn that that responsibility of taking on a second mm-hmm. dog now uh, yeah in a few cases some guys have earned it a little quicker than others but uh, it's the same thing with uh, the way Metro did it um, was you didn't get a bomb dog right away. Mm-hmm. You had to be a detection dog. You had to run a, a dope dog for a while. 
and then we would step off to the bomb thing. We've always pushed our bomb dogs to to uh, be a little bit above standards and stuff, mostly because we were pushed um, by having some relationships with people like Phil Ray out of England, mm-hmm. and he worked with the the London police. And you know, the London police they only patrol a, a one square mile of territory, but that's where the IRA bombed everything. Yeah. So they found devices all the time. They were on the front lines, and he did that for over 30-something years and was the head of that program for a long time. So he would come over and look at us and say, well, that's a great way to do it if you're a drug dog handler, but you're going to die as a bomb dog handler. Mm-hmm. So, um, and of course, we took that to heart, and so did my sergeant at the time, and he decided to put booby traps everywhere, and it was nothing mm-hmm. like hearing a, a beeper sound go off and yep. know that you just blew up. So um, you had to earn that right to get there. So... You know, there's a lot of education that comes along that that one year period as a new handler, um, making sure you season up your patrol dog. Most dogs, I've always said, it takes about 12 months to 18 months for a dog team to start to co- to to be cohesive. So you're pretty safe at that one year mark to say, all right, now you know, take on a second dog. It's a it's a little different from having your dual purpose dog. Well, one, it's twice as much poop. Yeah. Um, but the the thing is, is that there's two different personalities now, uh, two different relationships you have to build. Um, where your dual purpose dog, they don't have a necessarily a detection dog personality versus a patrol dog. Their personality is their personality. Yeah. Now, one might bring a few more things out in them than the other does. But when you're dealing with two completely different dogs, you know, you have to learn which ones work and which mm-hmm. way it works. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was very fortunate to work uh, quite a few springers. Yep. You know, and, and I make this as a joke, and it's just a joke. But <laughs> my springers bit me as much as my my Malinois <laughs> did. Um, but uh, their whole thing is, is they're very driven little animals, and they they want to work, and you have to work that animal um, and and develop relationships. So it's a lot like your Dutchies, your Malinois. There's a lot of that. Um, building that relationship of trust and everything, and the spaniel is going to make you earn that trust. You know, um, your good Labradors are going to be the same way. But I, I always say Labradors fall in your pocket faster than any other dog. <laughs> they just want to be your buddy. Those sure. like, I want to be your buddy. The spaniel's like, you're in my way, dude. Get out of my way. Yeah. Until you build that relationship, so it's really good for a, a handlers to to get that. You know, if I could tell anybody in the country, hey, does a two dog program work? Heck yeah. yeah. It's probably the best thing that I, I got to experience. Um, I could do two and a half hours of man searching, mm-hmm. run across town and do a bomb sweep. I got a fresh dog. Sure. And I didn't have to tell him to wait. I had a fresh dog. And how did you guys, how were you guys successful in selling that with the Garcia rule and the agencies being, you know, timid to add more compensation for the additional dog? How'd you guys navigate that? Um, you know, we, we went to them and actually the, the department bought on because we sold what uh, some of the Europe because we're, we're not Europe does this yeah oh yeah and we showed them their effectiveness and and the things we did but we uh, we allowed them to approach us on what they wanted to compensate okay and then a little bit of negotiation and we got right there it was never a real fight okay they openly admitted look we know you're taking on a second dog mm-hmm. and so. It was just a little bit of boost of what we already were. It wasn't, hey, 
this much for this dog is equivalent to this much for that dog. No, it's like you're already doing 90% of it anyways. You're just having to do a little extra of that. Mm -hmm. So it's not that big of an issue. And, you know, it also helps too. If you're getting into canine for the love of chasing and catching bad guys, whether it's chasing them and catching them for dope or chasing Mm -hmm. and catching them for anything, Mm -hmm. um, a little bit of that you have to step back and say, yes, I want to earn my paycheck. But really, the paycheck ought to be just like dogs. Dogs want to work for the toy, but reality is, is the joy of the hunt should be what they're working for because that's going to last longer. Well, canine's a lot of the same way, in my opinion. You better be there for the joy of the hunt. So, you know, work hard to figure out what's fair, and then you guys got to come to, to a, an agreement, and then let's get the program rolling. But I would tell every dog program in the country, you could look at a two-dog program, look at it, especially if you live in extreme conditions. Oh, yeah. I mean, the efficiency of it, like you said, so I I lived in Europe for almost five years, and you're right. Many cases, uh, handlers had multiple dogs. Um, And there's a level of efficiency that you you bring up in your uh, statement there, which was, you know, you told the agency, hey, look, I can have a dog over here doing it this on this side of the city. Then a different call comes out, and I have a fresh dog available ready to do that type of call. Um, plus, it falls under that mentality of jack-of-all-trades, master at none. So you, you have two dogs that are masters at what they do. And that has a level of effectiveness. Trying to do as much as we can do in one dog. I mean, sure, dogs can do multiple disciplines, and um, but... Those of us that have had dual-purpose dogs or multi-purpose dogs, whatever the new term usually these days is, um, we go through and understand that the dog leans one way or the other. We know our, you know, my dog, oh, yeah, he loves to do the patrol work. Or my dog, yeah, he's a good patrol dog, but that dog loves detection. So uh, you, it, I think it's rare at times to get the one who's perfectly balanced on both sides. Plus, training-wise, what do most handlers like doing? So it's that bite works. Well, like, we yeah. used to make the joke when we first went to this program. Uh, our unit always came together on Wednesday nights. It was the double squad night. We always had a debrief. We debriefed any incidences that happened that week, go over them. Although by that time, we've all hashed it out many times over. But this was an opportunity, and we took criticism. There was nothing wrong with telling somebody, hey, you know, great deployment when you had your head up your butt. But, you know, and that's, we put away or put aside our, our, uh, our feelings and things like that, and we criticized. Well, one of the guys gets up there brand new with his, his second dog, his dope dog and everything else. He's like, yeah, he goes, my dog alerted. And, you know, we started pulling on the door panel, and boom, out drops a, 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 a packed kilo of cocaine mm-hmm. and everything. And one of the guys goes, whoa, you mean it dropped straight down? <laughs> just being sarcastic yeah. is like it's not like whoa the guy jumped up and took off running yeah, yeah. and you got to bite him it's like so it was always a that was our running joke is hey i got a dope find who did yeah. it drop straight down yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just brought up something that was actually super important um because i don't think enough units do it uh, michael gusby brought from lapd brought it up as well recently in a podcast that debrief amongst each other being open and honest with each other, hot washing a call after it's kind of done, being taking responsibility for the bad and the good. And talk about that because that's what you brought up is pretty unique thing for handlers to go through and do. Well, and 
when I first got into canine, it was one of the first things I was taught in the unit. Is, look, every Wednesday night, we're going to sit down, we're going to go over everything, and if we think that it's a bad deployment, we're going to tell you. Even if you're justified, you know, we have our standards, and our standards for deployment and everything were actually a little bit higher than what the courts and the department wanted. We were like, you know, there are a lot of things we can get done that we don't have to bite everybody. Um, so, and it was, sometimes it'd be brutal. Not like you're making fun of them. Uh, you know, because here's the rules. You can make fun of the guy sitting across from you. Don't make fun of his dog. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, but, exactly. Oh, yeah. You've had the, don't we, tell my mom, but yeah, my dog. Yeah. My dog, yeah. But it, we literally said, look, I wouldn't have done that. Or, you know what? Yeah, you're good at it. You're good with that. But, you know, could you have done this? Could you have done that? And that plays into decision making later on. Um, I'll be honest with you. There's probably bites. Heck, there were shootings, I know for a fact. Mm-hmm. that it was the maturing process I got from the debriefs and slowing things down and rehashing them. Um, and it's healthier for a unit. If you have a unit that's willing to come together, it doesn't mean you guys have to like each other. Yeah, doesn't mean you guys really have to care about what each other does 90% of the time. But when you come into the debrief and you openly criti- criticize each other and your supervisors realize that that's a safe place to let things out, it's not a, hey, can I now find information to hammer a guy? Mm-hmm. Because you should be able to talk about all of it right then and there, get it out, get it worked out. Everybody in that unit's going to be better and stronger. And their concern will be is we do the best we can not to embarrass the unit and not to embarrass the department because we take care of our own. Not, hey, we protect everybody and let's just keep this one under wrap. No, man, if you make a mistake, well, you own it. You own it from the moment it happened. Bad deployment, bad decision. You know, I mean... And usually those are the guys that spoke up first. Yeah. Hey, hey has anybody got anything to go, go on, over? Uh, yeah. You know, one of my friends, I watched it happen, was standing right there. He go, jumps out to go after some taggers, <laughs> and the dog breaks the truck. Oh, nice. Yeah, it was a great bite. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> on a misdemeanor crime yes. that is not biteable. <laughs> nope. And, you know, he was the first one to say, look, I totally messed up. Mm-hmm. He said, um, you know, and, but the great part is, is he talked about for the next two days, we trained vehicle control uh-huh. and we put ourselves through that situation. We didn't have to be told by a supervisor, Correct. go do it. Because you know what the big thing was? We had to go in front of our peers and yep. admit that mistake. So we were willing to say, look, I had the mistake, but this is what I've already started. Mm-hmm. I didn't take a sergeant or a lieutenant to come to me and chew my butt to tell me to take care of that. Yeah, It's something that you do on your own, not just because you have that standard, but you know the guys around you, they mm-hmm. hold the same standard. Absolutely. And they're going to expect you to be accountable for it. Mm-hmm. And, and what you bring up was something I carry on now from my time with the, the SEAL teams. Every training debrief, what I thought was unique was the instructors go to each person and say, give me too high, too low. Or two things you did you, th- you felt you did right, and what are two things that you did wrong uh, that you need improvement on? And what was great about that was they would call out the errors that you've already written down as an instructor that you were going to talk to them about. So they bring it up. You're not the one as the instructor calling them out for it. They take ownership of it, and then you use it to discuss. And that creates, like you said, that accountability. Um, the whole unit as a as a group there gets to hear the honesty with each other. Yep, I screwed this up. This is what I did. Or I could have done this better. And all of it, because like you said a second ago, it's not an individual. It's the unit. Everybody represents that unit. 
you know, into any other, whether it be road patrol guys or there are other people in other divisions that you work within, um, you represent your unit. So by having accountability and being willing to take criticism only makes things better, you know, and then especially in the law enforcement world, you, you, your customer is the patrol units. You know, they're the ones that are helping you get cases and, and deploy your dog. And so if they know that this is how we handle business, they're more apt, in my mind, in my experience, to help you get more calls. Or, hey, hold on a second, let's get the dog here and utilize the dog. And, you know, one of the things that we always did is, uh, it, especially when we were smaller, it got a little harder when you started running 24-hour shifts. But we always encouraged everybody, if you had a find in an area command, because um, the valley's divided up into multiple area commands. You ran over to that area command, that squad's briefing, mm-hmm. and you said you gave them, you know, the kudos, hey, thanks, hey, thanks. Yeah. But you were expected, never had to be said, you did it. If you screwed up at a call, yeah, you go over there and you take your, your you, you stand in front of the guys mm-hmm. that, that you let down and say, yeah. hey, you know, sorry, this is what happened, this is how it happened, this is, you know, what I did wrong, this is maybe what my dog did wrong, and you know, super, you know, but this is what we're doing to work on it and everything else because so many guys just walk away going, you know, it's better off just to ignore it like it didn't happen. You can't pull the ostrich on the the old thing of, Uh hey, my dog failed to engage on something or my dog, you know, heavens forbid, bit somebody he wasn't supposed to bite um, and this is what happened. Or the case of we just finished searching an entire, you know, six-block perimeter and all of a sudden, one of the patrolmen goes, hey, I got the guy walking out of the perimeter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, their whole thing is, is everybody hears that, and it's all canine can't find anybody. Yeah, yeah. When you, reality, you go over, you debrief the guy a little bit, and well, I can think of one particular. The guy comes walking out, and he's in bare feet. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, these yards are horrible. Go over and start talking to him, talking to talking to him. He crawled inside a doggy door. Okay. Yep. He was in. He was laying behind the couch in the living room. It was two o'clock in the morning. The people sure. never even knew he was in the house. Uh, yeah. He admitted this. Well, how are we supposed to find him? Sure. Yeah. That's next to near impossible. Exactly. Um, so it's like not one of those. But if we don't go forward and take our lumps over the things we do wrong, they're never going to respect us when we go in in a case like that and say, "Hey, we found out talking to the guy. He was hiding in the house." You know, they're going to look at us, roll their eyes, and say, "Yeah, they're just trying to protect their reputation." Sure. No, we'll come in and take our lumps for our reputation. Yep. We'll take the, the good and the slap on the back. But in the long run, you know, my thing, and I, I teach this when I teach a handler, I don't look at the things you do great. Mm-hmm. Look mm-hmm. at those because you're going to see a ton of them. Mm-hmm. But you're going to see those things that you do wrong, and you have one or two choices. Mm-hmm. Make a weakness into a strength or hide from it. And that weakness is like a rotten apple in a barrel. Yep. It's oh, going to yeah. rot the next one to it, the mm-hmm. next one to it. Next thing you know, yeah, it looks pretty on the top side. But when you <laughs> dig down, yeah. it's nothing but a bunch of worms and, and molding fruit. And that's what your dog career will turn into and oh, your yeah. relationship with your dog. Yeah, I can do all this really good and it looks great and I train it all the time. But the things I struggle with, those things are going to start to rot in other things. Yep. You know, yeah, my dog's not really great at releasing. Well, now he doesn't want to release and he doesn't want to call off. And he doesn't want because you run from it. Yep, so you, you can't do that. No, and and the different things we bring up here is also helps reduce that canine prima donna kind of uh, uh, feel that people get because we have the special uniforms or the cars and all those kind of things. But when you take steps like we're discussing by talking to people and, and debriefing and, and taking criticism and owning mistakes uh, and, and just in general talking to the others and letting people know, hey, these are my capabilities, these are my limitations, this is 
what I, this is what to expect. Hey, do you want to help me with this? Or maybe you can run track with me or these different things kind of help bridge that gap and not have that separation where canines on the island and then everybody else is over here and we only come to these kind of calls. Don't call us for that and that kind of stuff. Well, and, and, you know, I get agencies all the time talking to me who like, you know, how does Metro come up with so many apprehensions in a year and, and stuff like that for the entire unit? And uh, I tell them it's because we'll search for anything. Yeah. The yeah. difference is, is I'll bring a guy with me on a misdemeanor crime. Say, hey, this guy gets up and runs. Mm-hmm. You're chasing him again because yeah. I can't bite him. <laughs> yeah. You know, I always told my my backup officers right off, hey, this guy's not biteable to me unless something changes. Mm-hmm. Be ready on the fly. Um, you know, so we we sold ourselves and and got so many uh, fines and calls and and even guys. Man, I have watch commanders call me on the phone. Hey, if you come out here, do you think you could do this and it was unless it was one of those where it's like we we're not we can come and sit at the CP, but we sure. can't go up there or anything else. But unless it, it changes, that would make us right there. But nine times out of ten, we always figure out a way to say, "Yeah, we could help you." Yeah, yeah, we can. You know, matter of fact, you know, even if it's a hey, you know what? Instead of you having four guys on the back, just give me a cover officer and maybe one other guy on the side, and we'll we'll take the back for you guys mm-hmm. and let you guys deal with the front or whatever. But uh, you know. It, it's nice when you have that relationship, mm-hmm. even with other agencies. You know, for school PD, uh, for Las Vegas, they don't have bite dogs. Yeah, you know, they just have their detection dogs, and they give us a. The, I'd have dispatchers calling me. Mm-hmm. Hey, we've got an alarm over here. Do you know if any of your guys are in that area? You know what? If you can give me five minutes, mm-hmm. I'll clean up my stuff here, and, and I'll be there. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and I'll be on my way. So, so you know, I'll assign myself and head that way. In those kind of relationships, those are what make canine not that prim and on a unit. Yeah. You know, we, the, my running joke is my favorite thing in the world is, is when patrol's in trouble, they call SWAT. Yeah. When SWAT's in trouble, they call oh. canine. Yeah. Of yeah. course. Of course. Always us. But that's true <laughs> yeah. uh, for all you SWAT guys out there. Um, <laughs> in reality is, though, is, you know, when people are in trouble, the best tool to, to use is the, the one that's not the human life. Yeah. Um, it just is. First of all, they have an ability to, to smell what we can't see. Mm-hmm. They have an ability to intimidate that is beyond. Man, one of my, my partners actually had a guy barricaded in a bathroom throw the sawed-off shotgun out the door because he was convinced the dog was going to chew his way and <laughs> open up the door and eat him. He's got a double-barrel sawed-off shotgun. Yeah. He can pretty much defend himself against a dog. Nah, no. nah, he gave up. He wanted no part of that dog. Yeah. That's a psychological advantage that yeah. the dogs bring and that should come to everything whether it's a tactical scenario yep. or just going in to clean a fresh burglary yeah they're you know? they're a great de-escalation tool in that situation oh, the dog being there de-escalated it like that and it was over and done with now bringing it to you know one of the things that i was uh interested in and i wanted to let you talk about this for all the listeners because this applies for both the uh, professional detection dog handler and those that compete in sport and nose work um, was your your proofing class. Um, tell the listeners a little bit about the proofing class, and then kind of go through you, your methods of how you do it. Um, we we I actually I, I titled the class proofing slash neutralization. Okay. My theory is is that uh, we shouldn't necessarily we're proofing our dogs on the odors that they should be on, but. The old style of proofing was is is was very heavy-handed. Yeah. This is a this is a bold face. This is like black and white. No, and you're going to get punished for it. 
and yes, you'll get paid for it. Mm -hmm. But over time, uh, with the help of some very, uh, very good mentors, they helped me understand that when you're proofing on this, this total black and white no, that this isn't it and I'm going to drop a hammer on you, the dog started to go into avoidance. Sure. So, you know, and I, I give this as an example. You're a detection dog and you were asked to come in and sniff eight packages. Problem is, is there are dogs that grow uh, alike for plastic. The reason why is most scents that we're associated with are plastic related. Mm -hmm. Drugs come in plastic, explosives come in plastic, they've touched plastic, been stored in plastic, and plastic becomes a very common Absolutely. odor in their, in their scent picture. Mm -hmm. So this dog develops a love of plastic. And, and I, this comes home to me because I had a bomb dog who loved plastic. Okay. Um, and the first time that I tried this technique, it cost me 45 minutes of my life. I'll never <laughs> get back. And I'm not the most patient I'm in, man, but I learned patience that day. Um, but so you got eight packages out. Well, in package number six is a kilo of cocaine. So dog runs down, but he's the dog that's been told, you find plastic, I'm going to drop a hammer on your head. Whatever techniques you're using, a pinch collar or an e-collar or whatever, or just mm -hmm. your dog just doesn't even like a tone of your voice, but it just scares him to death. Mm -hmm. So we hammer and hammer and hammer and do all this training on it. Well, he comes to this package number six, and what he smells is, is the very first thing that comes to him is plastic. And so he automatically goes defensive. Even though he probably, well, not a probably, I know for a fact he can smell the cocaine, mm -hmm. but the plastic has put him into like, no way, man, I can't deal with this. So he just motors on. It's called avoidance. Yep. I'd just rather avoid the whole scenario and not deal with it. So he just moves away from it. So now you have a dog that's totally in avoidance and totally failing on you. So now you go back to the way we do it, and I call it neutralizing, meaning that I want to make every odor an odor that they can investigate and sniff. First of all, when I select a dog, if they're not investigating the world through their nose, they're mm -hmm. probably not a candidate. Yeah, It's one of the first things I look at. Is, does that dog ingest the, the environment around him by sniffing at it? The number one tool God gave him. So when that dog comes out and he's been properly neutralized the way we do it, he's going to come along and he's a dog that does like plastic. The problem is, is he's never been rewarded for it. He's never been praised for it. He's never been told yes or no. He's just been neutralized on it, meaning he's been ignored for it. So he's got no references to it other than he knows it's always there, so he explores it. Mm -hmm. He investigates it. Mm -hmm. called investigative sniff. The thing is, is he's investigating, and he's like, holy cow, there's cocaine there, too. I knew I liked that plastic because yeah. it gets me someplace, <laughs> right? So he ends up being successful in that case. So um, the way we do it is, is right off the bat, we start a dog out, and within a couple of days of getting that dog really started and running, we're already running odors. Mm -hmm. And we run... I've put up the most I put up is thirty six odors. Okay, that's, that's not yep. counting my target odors. Sure, okay, and that can that can be fun that's, sometimes. You find out in the world intimidating when, for a lot of the people to oh, go. Yeah, oh yeah, you hear God. that? They're like, are you crazy? Yeah, it's like no. You think about it is we use a, a flat surface wall and we use uh, scented papers. They're called Wattman papers. They're what they they use when they swipe your hands at the yep. airport and things like that. Swipe your luggage. It's a comes from the factories it's got zero on the, mm -hmm. the scent it doesn't it's have used a scent in laboratories a lot a, a lot yeah. especially like in your your when they're testing the to break down the individual scents yep. and perfume and things like that yep. so it's a good item to use it's way better than cotton because cotton comes with a lot of background noise sure um or i should say background odor yeah to it 
But uh, these Wattman papers can hold a whole lot of, of information on them when it comes to the scent. So that helps us to slow the dog down and to slow them down and hunt with their, their mouth closed and to sniff individually. Now I've got Wattman papers for 36 odors up there. And I mean, it's everything from coffee to crushed up ibuprofen to mm-hmm. gummy bears. Yeah. <laughs> to, and you might laugh at gummy bears, but we do have firearm dogs working in schools that if you're not yeah. proofing off of candy, you're going to have a treaty little monster. <laughs> so um, we throw all these at them and, and we allow the dogs to make the decision. Yeah. The key to this is, is what remember is our dogs are masters of of reading body language absolutely 90 percent of their 90 percent of what comes into them is non non-verbal communicated items that's how they survive in the dog world yep not like i can back you up with that because the cognition stuff i've been doing with duke university there is no other species on this planet that has the ability to understand human intention and communication better than a dog yeah, so your absolutely. statement is 100 percent yeah. right so it's like I try and get my handlers and said, when we're, when, it's imperative that we do this all the time, but when it comes to the proofing aspect, the neutralization aspect of it, you can't give that dog anything. Mm-hmm. When they hit an odor, and they will, yep. at oh, a 36, yeah. they're oh, going to yeah. find odors oh, in sure. that they're curious sure. about. I, I use a term, it's not even, a, it's my term, but I call it hard odor syndrome. Okay. They're sniffing everything that smells the same in the world until they come across the hard odor. Okay. And then they're, they're going to they're test you. Hey. Yeah. Is this one that's valuable? Do, yeah. can I, and they may offer you some behaviors at it. And if they're testing you and, and checking you, and, and I don't care how good you keep yourself out of it, trust me, they're paying attention to you. Oh, yeah. When they're getting nothing but you, but complete neutral, I'm not mad, I'm not happy, I'm just like waiting for you to make a decision. I don't influence by moving. Mm-hmm. I just, I have to go totally dead. I don't put pressure on the leash. Yep. Nope. You make the decision. Absolutely. That decision all of a sudden comes. I'm not getting anything. I'll move on. When he decides to move on, I just move with him. Mm-hmm. It's my way of just, yeah, you did a good decision, but I don't make a big deal out of mm-hmm. it where it becomes this uh, social event that marks, hey, okay, yeah. it's just, let's just start searching again. It doesn't take very many runs where you're going to see those dogs. They'll find things. Boom. Sure. Oh, there's coffee. Right on. They keep going. Oh, there's tobacco. Right on. They keep going. Um, and then I know for a fact, my dog's using his nose. Yeah. Not only is he using his nose, he's using his brain too, because Correct. I'm seeing a change of behavior. Yep. And then I teach my handlers, now that you've seen change of behavior on those things, compare those 36 change of behaviors to your target outer. Bingo. And start to realize that that change of behavior has different aspects to it. How does it, I call it look, listen, and feel. Look at the dog, listen to the dog, and feel the dog. I'm looking at what he's doing. I see a different t- body posture. I see a different tail wag. I see a different perk of the ears. I, I listen to the breathing. It's completely different when he finds that one versus this one. And then the feel. What is the leash telling me? And what is, it, what is his body language? What is his pressure telling me coming down that leash? Um, that's why I tell handlers, don't grip that leash. Mm-hmm. Slide that leash. Yeah. It's like... Learning the leash is like a musical instrument. Yep. Learn how to, to, because a lot of information goes both ways. Your stress goes down and his feelings come up. Mm-hmm. So it's a really good. So look, listen, and feel is really important in the, in the neutralization. It's like learn that and learn the yeses and nos. When I got handlers that are totally into it, they'll tell me as they're going through a search, proofing aid. Yeah, nice. Very nice. Yeah. You know, because the change of behavior is there, boom, it's off. Because, you know, in, the, in a, an office room, 
all of a sudden you're searching along and here comes this, you know, caulking. Mm -hmm. Like we use a lot of caulking because explosive dogs will hammer caulking. Sure. So we put out some, some caulking odor and bam, boop, but it's off. But that is not the same as C4. Correct. It's just not the same. It's a change yep. of behavior, but that change of behavior is not the C4 change of behavior. No, and um, you bring up a point where because uh, teams may not address proofing or distracting early enough, they then don't know what those behaviors look like when a dog hits that proofing or distracting odor. And then in comparison, what that is when there is target odor present. And once they've done that in, in the way that you're just kind of describing it is, your trust goes up with your dog because now you can interpret the difference between proofing and target odor. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, that's why we don't wait. Um, you know, early on in my career, I was told, yeah, we don't start proofing the dog's tail right toward the end, right before <laughs> yeah. certification. I'm like, right before certification. Okay. Well, to me, I, hey, these you guys have been here longer than me. I didn't know no better. And it was the Europeans that came to me and said, what are you guys doing? Yeah. These dogs should be making decisions. I also had a very good opportunity that uh, an old friend of mine, Kip Schultz, was doing a, a study for the U.S. government. And I went to his laboratory and he flat out said, he goes, we teach our dogs inside of proofing. Meaning that when they go out to mark the behavior, they're yeah. looking at you know, 10, 12, 14 different odors, he said at the time. Yeah. And they mark, they were using a clicker at the yeah, time. They were, marking, yep. mm -hmm. they were marking that odor yep. right there. And that's where they taught it. Yeah. Um, so... It created it could be value done as early as to the target. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And it could be done early as there. I tell yeah. people, I said, hey, my thing is not really the dog aspect. I can teach a dog. If I'm running a dog, I can teach proofing and, uh, and neutralization on the same day I start a dog on order. Sure. It's not a problem. The problem is, is the human factor comes yep. in and not everybody <laughs> is into this for the, the world of dogs. They're like, totally, they love it. They want to do it. Yeah. They And a lot of guys just don't have the talent to be able to to master that and the discipline. And they're so excited, and, and I'm telling you, especially some of these guys that really get their dogs for the first time, you think that throwing them that ball the first time, yeah. they, you know, I, that's why I always reward it first, and, and then I turn around and hand them the toy, and you think I just gave them the golden spoon. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I get to reward my dog? Yeah, here you, yeah, go. you go, you can reward your dog. <laughs> no, and, and yeah, you bring up the same thing I teach. This, this is why I loved when I sat in your class. There were so many things that we had lined up with, and we didn't even, we've never sat in each other's classes before. So, no. yeah, so I was sitting there, and, and you had uh, talked about the proofing aspect. And, like, I showed my lecture here uh, right now is, you know, I spend my first day or so letting the dog know what the target odor is. There's a there's a blank item and a target item. And the dog realizes, okay, this is different than that one. As soon as that's done, I can, as I add more items, other spots have non-target odors present. And the dog knows, oh, the target is the only one that pays. And there's a unique video of uh, my current lab right now that I was, I'm doing firearm detection with. And... He goes down a lineup and he hits the second pipe and it's a new odor. And he kind of pauses there for a second. He kind of sniffs it and then goes, nope, not what I'm looking for. And he moves right on down. And he moves right on down and he hits target odor. And for him, the way his indication is, is he's almost like a pointer. He just locks up and it looks like on a video you hit pause because he doesn't <laughs> move at all. I mean, the other, one of the guys was working on him uh, yesterday calls me up. He goes, man, Gamble, when he, I know when he alert, nothing in his body moves. It's like someone hit pause on him, and he's just he even stops breathing, I think, Cameron, so you can't go too long before he might pass out. But uh, it, it, what's so good about that is, is what we're talking about is by having a dog that understands what target odor is in the presence of other non-target odors, 
it makes it easy for us as, like you said, the human part, which is always the weakest link in the, in the chain, to understand, uh, hey, my dog is on target now versus just being interested in a smell. And that's yeah. too, way too often, uh, whether it be pristine environments or, or we make the target odor in a way so profound compared to everything else that it may, this is like kids play for the dogs. But then we don't do the same thing to a non-target odor. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> the one that, that right now is the predominant issue is, is don't, don't, if you got a three odor dog, don't put marijuana around it. Yeah. Why? Marijuana better be <laughs> in your proofing kit. Yeah, absolutely. It, it better be in your proofing kit. Because I was just having this conversation uh, just a little bit ago is um, I can take a dog I've never shown marijuana to. And uh, with my three odor dogs, we have a, a little set in protocol about putting out the proofing aids so that because the courts are where you, you, you come into this and the challenge. So if they come ever came to me and said, "Hey, how do you guys put out your odors and whatnot?" If I'm if I'm putting out the the proofing aids, which go out well before the target odors ever do, um, I don't put out the marijuana proofing aid. My one of my trainers does, and that's all they do that day. Yeah. They're putting those out just because of that issue. But and it's more that issue to be able to to state that than 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 the issue of the dog, but. I'll, I can tell you right now, I can take a dog that I've proofed on for a week and he's been running proofing aids doing the whole nine yards and throw marijuana in the mix mm-hmm. and he will hammer it. Yeah. I don't care. He's never smelled it before. Yeah. I don't know what it is about that. That's why people ask me, hey, do you start your dogs on, on marijuana back in the day? I was like, why? Yeah. Any dog can find marijuana. Yeah. You know, and Doritos. But yeah. <laughs> or Taco Bell. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but uh you know, and I'm like, and we so we proof them right away. And I actually was talking to a guy and he was looking at buying a dog from us and he's like, uh I showed him a proofing video. He was um and I sent it to him and I said, uh the uh the third stop in his search when he pauses for a couple seconds, I go, That's actually him pausing at marijuana and then moving on. Oh my gosh! You'd think that I had just ruined his year. Oh. That I had actually he's I can't have the dog exposed to marijuana. I'm like, Why brother, the hell brother man, if you don't think your dog's not going to be exposed in the first week no to marijuana, kidding. you are running down the wrong track. You are running yourself into a problem with your dog. Um, it's just going to happen. And he's like, well, what if my dog all of a sudden really loves marijuana? I said, dude, your dog's going to respect marijuana because mm-hmm. it's not going to get him anything. Yeah. But it's going to be on everything. Yeah. It's going to be on the cocaine you find nine I would times say, out of the ten. The cocaine you got as a training aid was sitting in what evidence locker for however long they, next to the it, box it, it of all marijuana? Has yeah. Marijuana, that odor is very pungent. It's yeah. very, one of the terms I've heard is sticky. Yeah. It's very actually, sticky. Yeah. It, it sticks to everything. And I mean, it's there. It, you better deal with it, mm-hmm. and the way to do it is the same thing with our weaknesses. Don't run from them. Yeah, just attack it. Yeah, you know you'd be better off to go into court and say, "Yeah, my dog is run over marijuana continue basis. He gets no pay for it. He gets nothing for it. So there's has no value to Correct. him." Correct. So that way you can say, "Yeah, my dog. He's been exposed to, it, but it has no value to him." Yeah. You no. Know? And it's what's the the power of an odor recognition test, which is now becoming becoming more norm in the drug dog world with. The forensic board calling a dog a sensor and, and treating a sensor like you do calibrate everything else and putting up those those lineups. And what better way in an odor lineup than to have marijuana in that lineup and the dog only indicates to the target narcotic odors that you're working on? Absolutely. 
And all that that proves everything that that defense wants to blow you up on. Absolutely. And don't walk into. I'm telling you, by avoiding it, you're walking more onto their side of the court and ready to get hammered by them than than if you just go out there and say, "Yeah, I I, I proof on that," and, and I you know I proof on all these other odors. I proof on plastics. I proof on wrappers. I proof on this. I proof on that. You know, and then make sure. This is a big issue. Make sure you document it. Hell yeah. Because if yeah. you don't document it, you didn't prove. Damn First of right. all, I think one of the biggest problems we have in the industry, and I don't care what dog you're running, um, whether you're even competing in competition uh, in the nose work world, nobody's proofing. Yeah. And if they do, they say, well, yeah, I proof inside of it. And I'm like, or the well, environment I searched yeah. in has other odors there, so I automatically yeah. okay, proofed. Okay, so where's it listed on your training log? Uh-huh. Because if you didn't list it, then as a trainer, I can't go in and testify that, you know, in a, you know, a six-week or six-month period that you show proofing. Yeah. My, I, my people leave the school going, you should proof twice a week. If you're not proofing, you're not doing. Yep. That's no, absolutely. Plain and simple. Absolutely. It, 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 like you said, it's key no matter what detection dog you work. You have to document and do that and, and list what you're proofing. And distracting odors, whether it be dog piss or uh, you know food out in the open or any number of different things uh, that are common in your search area. And how about you know how about their toy? Yeah, Talking absolutely. About, you know, proofing, neutralizing, distraction. To me, it all comes into the same thing: is does it have any effect on the searching and the thought and the reliability and the effectiveness of your dog? Well, I can't reach from my pocket and unsnap my thing too fast, or it affects the way he's searching because mm-hmm. he knows I'm reaching for my toy. Well, dude, if that causes your dog to have that effect, man, I'd be opening and closing my pocket <laughs> yeah, every yeah, day exactly. until all of a sudden that becomes like the Peanuts character, the adult character, you know, yeah. the wah, 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 wah. Yeah. yeah. It has no value. There's nothing coming yeah. out that's worth anything. You know, it, again, don't run from it. Instead, attack it. Attack that that issue. My dog doesn't like when I have my toy out. Well, you know what? And I know you saw this in the, the class. Mm-hmm. I have the, the one handler. She stands there forever in a day. That, that video is shortened down in the class to four and a half minutes. It's 15 minutes long. Wow. Her arms were killing her, holding the toy <laughs> above her dog's head. Now she can walk along bouncing the ball in her own hand yep. while other people's bounce ball. And he's like, yeah, you, you see it there. It's in his mind. Yep. But he knows. Target odor is the only thing that's going to come onto my nose. Exactly. That's it. And that's where you you brought up a little bit ago, which uh, bleeds in the class that I do all the time, was the marker training and the power of a marker. And I always tell everybody, you all have a marker. You just have one. You didn't intend to be a marker, but it's a marker. Yeah. Your tell, your cue. Yeah. (laughs) I said, so let's create a marker that you're doing on purpose so that way the points that you just made, whether I'm reaching my hand here, I'm standing over this way, or I stand behind my dog, none of it means anything until that... Signal is given, and then the dog understands, okay, now it's time for the reward. I see people get upset about, well, if I stop moving my feet, my dog will alert. Yeah. Guys, then, then the, the, actual, the actual do of moving your feet is part of a cue. Remember yeah. The most powerful animal out there reading your body <laughs> postures. You don't exactly. think that he doesn't know that you look like a fool tap dancing back and forth? Oh, yeah. And, and for all of you out there that are really mad at me right now, guys, I'm only speaking from experience. Yeah. I was that same guy. Same I did here. all this too until I had somebody that was starting to look at me and go, why are you doing that? Yeah. If that's affecting your dog, you need to fix that. Absolutely. Make it go away. Yeah. Like you said, don't run from your problems. No. You know, don't go, oh, when you realize the training group is going to do something that's a weakness, you're like, oh, I, I got to go do this, or oh, I uh, think they're calling for me, I got to go. But no, spend that time, address the problem. 
And guess what? Your dog will, and you will be better for it, but to avoid it is just going to make it constantly worse. And then you're making excuses and, and you're trying to avoid situations um, where your dog could be used. And just because you don't want to look bad or we get it. We all want to look good. We all want our dog to be successful. I, I always tell everybody, making mistakes is still learning. Letting a dog make mistakes like you're talking about. the Let the dog sit there and do what it wants to do. Eventually, it's going to try something else if there's no reinforcement following up with what it tries. Absolutely. And you, was it uh, Michael Jordan has that one poster out that was for years and years and years. Nobody can argue that Michael Jordan's greatest basketball ever oh, played yeah. the game. Yeah. But yet his one poster he put out is all of his failures. Yeah. How many times he was given the ball in the last second to make the shot and missed. How many times he was put in this position and it didn't work out? How many times he's put in this situation? And the last of it is, is I have failed so that I can succeed. Yeah. Well, it's the same thing in dog training. It's the same thing in everything else you do and, and in competition of any kind. And trust me, we are competing against the bad guys. Yep. Look, I can only get better if I know my failures and weaknesses and I train to improve them. If you're the perfect guy and runs through life as the perfect guy, then you're... <laughs> You're kidding yourself. Yeah. You're the only one that actually thinks that because you have weaknesses. You have problems. So does your dog. Don't run from them. Just go attack them. Yeah. Let's go make it. Let's change it. You know, you may, you may, you and your dog may have a problem that lasts your entire career, but at least you worked on it on mm-hmm. a continual basis. And out of that work ethic and that desire to improve, I'm sure you're improving in other areas and your dog has probably had a great career. And so have you. It's the guy that says, well, I've always had this problem, so I ignore it. And then you find out he struggled in this area, he struggled in that area, because mm-hmm. he's ignoring them, too. It's mm-hmm. not always just one thing. Yeah, no. And, and on the proofing thing, I wanted to touch on something that um, in that cycle of, of training of it. When you do it, do you also have, at times, proofing odors out only, and there's no target out? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's the same thing as doing a, a cold search and... Coming in and, and having a blank room. Yeah. There's nothing worse than having a blank room. There's nothing worse when I'm really pushing handlers real hard <laughs> and they come in and there's like, oh, there's a proofing aid. Okay. Oh, there's a And they, they've gotten to the point where they're really capable of reading their dog. Yep. And they get all the way through it. And then I love the ones that turn around and go, this room's clean. That's, that's, I know. It's amazing. That as I tell people as an evaluator, I love that because I know I can trust that team. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's like, hey, I know, you know, and... A lot of that comes out of the discipline of knowing that they're, they're a little bit more seasoned, so they have their search patterns down. They know mm-hmm. they've covered everything. Mm-hmm. They've put their dog, because the dogs can only smell what their dogs can, can, can uh, get to. Yeah. So if they know that they put their dog in every possible location that odor could be present, and they turn around and look at you, this room's clear. Yeah. That's because they're confident they, in reading their dog, mm-hmm. and they've been pushed into those areas of failure. And I can guarantee you, if you ask that team, hey, do you have a failure list? Oh, yeah, that's like really long, you know, <laughs> but, but we work at it all the time. So it's, you know, put out a whole bunch of proofing aids and then run through it. It's, I do the same thing in patrol dogs. <laughs> There's nothing like watching the guy that's mm-hmm. really hard. We had a guy go two and a half hours on a, about a 20-minute search of a park <laughs> two and a half hours wow. he disappeared so many times he actually walked up to our truck to say something to us uh-huh. and turned around and walked away and went back and searched the decoy sitting next to me in the passenger seat wow that's how focused he was <laughs> yeah. on that and then i i actually i'm like man i, I can't let him go anymore <laughs> and my other trainer sent me a message and said hey do not let him get out of this 
He has to figure out he can sure. trust this dog. The only reason why we called it, he was actually starting to get upset and frustrated with the dog. <laughs> so we're like, productive. come over. And, and I pulled up this time with the passenger side to him. And he's looking at the dog. He's wait a minute. Aren't you the decoy? <laughs> and it's like, yeah. And he's like, why do you guys mess with me? Dude, I'm not messing with no, you. No, this is stuff that happens. This is you learning to trust your animal. Mm-hmm. I do trust him. If you did trust him, I would have been a 20-minute search, dude. Yeah, exactly. Your fear of failure is your downfall. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. That, that, that's, a, that's a powerful statement right there because that is that drives most people. They don't either their dog to fail or them to fail. So, no. Now, the we've all, like we mentioned earlier, we've both been doing this a while now, 25-plus years and more. Um, how have you seen uh, the science aspect evolve in our detection dog world? You know, uh, when I open up one of my classes, I always play uh, that Joe Dirt part when he gets introduced to his mom and dad. Okay, Sorry to interrupt your clown's pitch there, but somebody asked that one reporter, I think, asked the parents the question, how do you not go back to the place where you last seen him? Mm -hmm. Yeah, And he's like, yeah, how do you not go back and find me? And his dad's response is, how does a rainbow made? How does the sunset work? How's the posi traction on the rear end of a Plymouth work? (laughs) It just does. Yeah. Well, forever and a day, that was really the attitude Mm -hmm. of everybody. Yeah. I don't know how my dog searches. He just does. He's got a nose. He works well, and and I find stuff. I don't know why my dog does what he does. He just, you know, he's got the desire, the drive, and I taught him how to bite on the street and all the rest of it. Well, I think through these conferences and stuff. Yeah. That has brought in the civilian aspect of it and more on the side of behavioralists and things like that, the real art of training and understanding behaviors. And that opened up from behaviors to science, mm-hmm. you know, behavioral science to actual um, science of odors, the yeah. science of the olfactory. Yeah. Um, if guys really understood and knew totally the capabilities of their dogs, they would be dumbfounded at how easy some of the training is that they're putting yeah. out. It's like, hey, you've got a guy that's working on a doctorate, and we're putting out kindergartner work. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. Know? Um, but it's really, that's the area. Is this going out, of course, podcasts like this is opening guys' minds up and being more open to it. You know, you see, uh, and social media. Social media yeah. is driving oh, yeah. a lot of this because yeah. you're seeing other guys posting things and their dogs are doing. It's like, hey, I can I can do that, or yeah. or I should be at that level. So, you know, understanding more of what your dog does, why your dog does it, has become more and more popular. Mm-hmm. Where years before it was always the old school of, hey, kid, this is how it works. Exactly. This is what it does. Shut up and do it. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, it's funny if we still if we did that. For all those years in our in our firearms training, at least wise, I think we'd be up to six shooters and not loading the muskets anymore. That's yeah, yeah. where we would have stayed, and that's where dog yeah, training true. stayed for a long time. Yeah. But I think it's when we started listening to the to the scientific side of it, to those guys that have all those letters behind their name for yeah, a reason, yeah. and started getting out of our ego driven way of being policemen. Um, and trust me, I'm just as an ego driven cop as anybody else. But I got intrigued by that little scientific part. You know, when you're raised as a, as a uh, farm boy and all the rest of it, you, you're like horses and, and cattle and why they do things and all the rest. Well, that was always, you know, very curious to me and kind of satisfied that desire of wanting to be a vet in, in, in learning that. So I've pushed real hard myself and so have other guys. Hey, understand 
why your olfactory system and your dog work. Understand why there's a whole portion of his brain dedicated to processing that odor. Um, why his nostrils are set a specific distance apart that he can smell left and right. Absolutely, yeah. You know, and when you start to understand that, you start looking at your dog as a as a completely different creature than just the fluffy little guy that'll uh, go out and find you dope. Oh or, yeah, or bite a, a suspect. Yeah, you know? w- without a doubt. Um, you know, it, this subject of proofing it, it's it's you know. We, I think we did a decent job of explaining it, and what I would like to do, if you're interested at some point, for the listeners, is um, do a webinar on it. You and I can sit down, and and that way the, these listeners can actually watch some of the things on screen, if that's something you're game for. Oh, I'd so, do it. Absolutely. Awesome. Let's do it. Why yeah. not? Because, I, like I said, in my opinion, people ask me, hey, what do you think that – and right now – I think our industry in the detection world is, is proofing is a problem. Oh, without a doubt. It doesn't get done nearly enough. I mean, no. people talk about it, and but again, back to the fear. Some people are afraid if I expose my dog to it, well, I might have a problem. Yeah, yeah. And, well, and one of the hard parts is is setting up proofing problems takes discipline yes. and everything else. And, and I think guys get afraid of it because it's a little harder. It's not the simple throw out an aid, work five minutes and be done with it. And you have to be super clean about it. Yeah. Um, so it's like, guys, if you get used to it, it actually it comes together in a, in a snap and you're up and running and you're proofing your dog and actually your dog's having a, 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 a kick of a time. And if you get into it, you are too. Cause you're like, man, I've never seen him do that before. Yeah. And, you, <laughs> and, and, and your trust is, goes way up, which is what we want. Through our, the that, roof. We want that trust. Absolutely. Yeah. How do people get a hold of you? If they have questions, what have you? Uh, we're uh, on the website. It's it's Maycor uh, Maycor-BattlebornCanine.com. Um, that website is just got put together because we combined the two okay. Maycor Canine and Battleborn Canine. Um, and then you can get a hold of me at Mel at BattlebornCanine.com, and uh, you know send me a, 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 a an email and say hey you know what are you doing when are you doing it and see if we're in your neck of the woods or yeah. Anybody is always invited if you wanted to come out and catch some training and stuff and, and get together. Or, or I I always will a, a answer a question and mm-hmm. let guys bounce things off of me. And if I don't have the answer, I'll go find it. Yeah. No, and, and I'll put those links into the show notes so that way it makes it easy for everybody to find and go to and that kind of thing. Uh, and I want another unique thing for uh, people out here in this industry to kind of realize Mel and I are in the same area. We are... In, the, in a very similar uh, aspect of the industry, and he calls me today. I'll be there out there to help him in a heartbeat. You, you know, I think sometimes the industry gets so focused on this is my area or or stay out of this. Either one of us look at it, each other as an asset. I, I would do anything for him to help him out with anything he's got, and I know I could call him up and say, "Hey, I got this thing. Can you help me out with that?" Um, it isn't. It needs to kind of slow down and, and not be so divisive at times. Because by us working together, and just like he brought up, you know, Maycorn and Battleborn coming together, it only helps everybody. And it's not like this constantly, well, I can only talk to this person because that's who I go to, I bought dogs from or whatever. It, 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 you know, there's something of value in all of it with everybody. And there isn't this need to be very uh, divisive or have that separation. No, I mean, that's the thing is <laughs> you're not going to find a, a, a dog training mentor. Uh, and that's what everybody needs, to, yeah. especially if you're getting started in your real interest. You're not going to find a dog training mentor uh, over on the uh, horse side of the aspect. <laughs> yeah. You're going to have to go into the same industry and say, hey, 
you know, I, I want to do this. This is what I want to do. And I never thought that this is what I want to do in retirement. Sure. I'm actually working harder now than I yeah. ever have. Oh, yeah. But I enjoy what I'm doing. And, and to be honest with you, I get as much enjoyment out of working with the handlers, just as much out of working with trainers that I know these guys are probably putting bids in as, as much as I am. But yeah. hey, I don't care. Let's just keep growing and doing. There's more than enough work for everybody. Oh, God. And yeah. we'll have a ton of fun. And let's just keep pushing things out there that makes the industry better. Absolutely. That's the key part I think people sometimes forget is our, our everybody's common goal is to have the industry be better. You know, no one's like, I'm going into this to make the industry suck or make it worse. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I can't wait to sink this bad boy. <laughs> exactly. After I've worked so hard to build it the way it is. So with that said, thank you so much for taking the time. I know you are busy out here at the conference. You know, you're an integral part for people, for information, help, this, that, and the other, being a board member and everything. So thank you for taking that time to come thank on Thank you here. for having me. I appreciate it. It was a good, yeah. good conversation. I enjoyed it, it. And since you're close enough by, I'm sure we'll end up doing another one at some point. And then, like I said, we will definitely do the webinar. So the listeners, uh, stay tuned to the social media and things like that. We'll get that info out when we get it all set up. Until then, I'll talk to you in the next one. Well, that concludes this Double Drop episodes of K9's Talking Sense. I hope you guys enjoyed them. I hope you guys got more information than you had before. I hope it answered some questions that we discussed on the legal side of things. I hope you guys gained information from the interview with Mel English. And again, I hope you guys are staying safe out there, uh, staying healthy. Like I said, always feel free to contact me. Um, I'm here to help. I love sharing information. There's a lot of great things on the horizon, like I mentioned at the opening of the show. Uh, Ford K9 is going to be expanding and going more than just seminars and webinars. We'll have our full classes uh, to include canine development course, which is a 40-hour course, canine handler development course, which will be another 40-hour course, trainer development course. Each course specializes in one thing. So canine development, which is going to be focusing on the dog and certification. So with canine development course, the 40-hour course there is training the dog and focusing on things with the dog, as well as concluding with certification I certify under NPCA, CNCA, uh, Drug Beat, California Post, and so forth. So those that come out to my one-week uh, canine development course, we do that. The handler development course, also a one-week course, is focused highly on the handler. Working with the handler, focusing on uh, your critical thinking, throwing some curveballs at you, and addressing some of the training aspects that you need to work on. And then last is the 40-hour trainer development course. And on that one, my goal is to enhance a trainer with further science-based knowledge, training, and education. So if you're interested in those courses, as well as any of the other ones that will be happening in the near future, contact me, Cameron, C-A-M-E-R-O-N, at Ford, F-O-R-D, K9.com. And I look forward to helping guys out. I look forward to talking with all of you. As always, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and until the next episode, it's okay to be nosy on Canine's Talking Sense.